Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Tracks Edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. I, for, I, for a second, I was almost Baxter Stockman. Uh, I guess, or like uh, just a vaudeville singer, maybe. Oh, I thought that was, wasn't that Baxter's... That was his backstory before he became a mad scientist. Well, was he the one who said, sang, uh, Hello, my baby, hello, my honey? Yeah, that's Baxter Stockman. For I mean, sure. I know the uh, chest burster in Spaceballs does, but Look, I, I forgot if Baxter Stockman did. Orion's ears are very sensitive, and that's what we have to remember from that show. It's week 64 of this project? 64. Mm. That's, two to the sixth. Yeah, I was going to say two to the eighth. We, we agreed. Two to the eighth. <laughs> that's right. And that's a lot, but it is not enough because we got more than 100 left. So We do. We do. As always. Uh, in fact, it's insulting because I... I remember that it was week 63, but in my mind, that was a long time ago. It does kind of feel like it was a long time ago. It feels like it's crawling. Well. Yeah, you were going to explain how it works, but it don't matter because everybody knows. Everybody who will ever listen to this show already listens. Yeah, I was just going to say that, as usual, <clears throat> Voyager was in last place. So, Yeah, that's right. Uh, this week we watched Distant Origins. Write a couple letters to your school board. Do you do your really believe we were but the monkey swinging up in the trees Don't it seem a little likelier than Adam and me Did a lot of humping and that was the origin of the species Do you, do you really believe We were nothing but the monkey swinging up in the trees Don't it seem a little likelier than Adam and me Did a lot of humping and that was the origin of the species Hmm, that's um, a haphazard melange of, <laughs> uh, nerdcore rap and some kind of country twang yeah Wasn't that is an, Im- an imagined creationist anthem yeah <clears throat> a dino man and his dino assistant sorry let me a dino doctor and yeah, his he's a whole professor his dino assistant find part of a gold starfleet uniform in a cave near a human skull and exclaim they just made voth history bro yeah High five, everyone. Credits. Uh, these dudes do some rampant speculation about this human guy who uh, got eaten by a space worm or whatever. And they decide to take their case to the Circle of Elders about how they finally found the origin the, of where they came from because they know they came from another planet, these Voth. Uh, he wants to get a fleet of ships to chase down Voyager and grill them about Earth or whatever. You know, where they maybe initially came from. Uh, but guess what? This old biddy in charge and her side boy aren't easily convinced. Um, no, they don't like what uh, what this guy has to say. Yeah, Dr. Dino's theory of distant origin stating that they actually developed on a faraway world a long time ago and being ge- genetically related to this human s- skull man 
that they found. Um, they're not interested in that theory. But um, anyway, his daughter doesn't believe him either. She thinks maybe he's a little overzealous in his research. Uh, then his research is seized, and uh, it sounds like he's going to be arrested for heresy, so it's not going that well for him. So he goes off on his journey, uh, him and his assistant alone, to find Voyager. And um, they track down a bunch of new info. There's like a montage of them uh, retracing Voyager's steps because they've been leaving their junk all over the damn quadrant. Yeah, they visit uh, the Darkling place, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, they eventually find Voyager and they, they beam over with their personal cloaking device. And uh, to observe the crew for a little while before they, I guess, I don't know what their plan initially is going to be. Uh, they waste some time watching TP and Balana, which is gross. They watch the bridge for a bit, and Harry Kim, of all people, notices their presence. Starts to see, figure out there's some weird uh, signals they're getting. Um, their shield. Yeah, I guess they don't have a smell, huh? I guess. Like, I know they say earlier on that they have a special smell organ and that they think humans either can't smell or can only smell in a very rudimentary way. Mm-hmm. But no one's like, they smell like fucking Florida in here today. What the hell? <laughs> it smells like the time that TP became a fucking catfish alligator. That's what it smells like in here. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I mean, these guys not only have their own smell organ, I think they also comment that humans have a smell. So... And also, I want to be 100% clear that if I were in their scenario, I would have bumped into somebody. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, they're phased, so maybe nothing would have happened, but, like, I don't know. Well, anyway, the Voyager shield blocks the scientists from leaving once they're uh, on the road to being discovered. So they're trapped on Voyager, and they um, they go and run in uh, the fucking, I want to say the replomat. Where, where Neelix is? Neelix's kitchen? And, yep. uh... I, I was gonna say the mess hall, but I don't know what they call it in, uh, Voyager. They call it Neelix's place, and one time the dragons came, it was a rough time. Um... <laughs> we gotta stop... We either have to stop talking about that one episode <laughs> of Family Matters, or do a whole show about that one episode of Family Matters. I don't remember many other... No, we'd have to rewatch it. We for sure would have to rewatch it. I don't remember many other plot points from Family Matters. That's the problem. That's why that one uh, always comes back. At one point, Urkel started going on cop ride-alongs, right? Yeah, he wanted to become a cop, he thought. So he started going with Carl on ride-alongs, and they busted some criminals. Uh, there's a, it's a bunch of St- St- Stefan Urkel stuff. I don't know what the actual plots of those episodes were. Um, but was it step-by-step step where there was a gun in their school? Which one was it? Mm. Which one of those had a very special episode where there was a gun at school and there was a bunch of shaky hand cam? That was definitely Family Matters. Uh, Laura was very shaken up, and so at home, okay. we were all very shaken up. Because we identify with Laura? Yeah, Laura's the... You didn't know this? That she's the sort of the avatar. She's the audience surrogate character? Yeah, that's... Um, that's so they go to the Laura. mess hall. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, their cloak is quickly disabled by some phaser work. Um... They exchange some fire in the main scientist bags. A 200-pound Chaco, believe it or not. So a real wild one. And uh, uh, Janeway doesn't make any progress with the assistant who they've captured and are trying to grill in sickbay because the other guy, uh, again, absconded with a Chaco. Uh, This uh, assistant goes into a weird coma, self-imposed coma thing. Yeah, he kind of just faints. Yeah. Um... 
Meanwhile, Chaco chats it up with the main dino scientist. And you know what he's like. Chill. Yeah. Chaco brings the chill. And back on Voyager, Janeway and the Doctor determine the same thing these scientists did and begin to explore their common relatives on the holodeck. Uh, they dinosaurs, son. Yep. I, these, these old boys, these are our old dinosaurs, but they went to space. I know that. I've seen dinosaurs. They look like dinosaurs. They're dinos. Um, this main dino needs to take Jocko home to show him off like a weird hairy marlin. And um, Voyager is then sucked inside the big Voth city ship where that... Uh, that lady and her, her... They keep saying, like, the Circle of Elders, but there's only ever this lady and her assistant. Uh, anyway, where they live. Uh, so they're, like, sucked inside of this fucking ship or beamed in or whatever, and they power down Voyager. Voyager's boarded, but none of their weapons work anymore. Uh, so they get captured. Uh, they're going to be destroyed if this dino doesn't, like, go home and face the music. So he goes back and is put on trial. They've uh, paid off his assistant to speak out against him, and there's uh, shouting, and it gets really real when the lady angrily shouts, We are not immigrants! Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Chaco makes a speech that is so chill and flattering, but this mean lady threatens to destroy Voyager and imprison the crew until Dr. Stego, I started calling him Dr. Stego at the end, retracts his theories. Uh... So he does that. He and Chaco say their goodbyes, and Voyager is off to continue their mining operation in the cosmos. That's what they do, right? This is a mining. This is a mining mission. Yep. As far as I can tell, that's their charter: is to get di- dicosilium. <laughs> get, I think get dicos- something like that. Dicosilium and um, uh, probably some trilithium. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they've run out of trilithium. And also, isn't that used in weapons? Omega particles? Isn't trilithium used? Wow, we haven't really... I don't, think we've, I don't think we've done the omega particle stuff yet. Have we done Planet Hell? Have we done the one with the <laughs> demon? The silver blood? We've done silver blood, so, right? Not yet. Oh, okay. Hey, what was this episode about? Um... Believers in doctrine care less about the truth than staying in power. They're doing Galileo. This is Galileo. Yeah, Dr. Stego um, is Galileo. They've updated it for the 1990s, but it's also it's also very clearly creationism versus evolution. Mm-hmm. And so, like, well, there's no way around giving them points for this. Yeah, they they're doing science. It. This is science fiction. Yeah, like they're they're intentionally doing science fiction. Uh, Galileo, the Galileo parallel is there so that we know that that even though these, um, I might as well call them religious zealots, Mm -hmm. it's not clear what their doctrine is, but they talk about doctrine quite a bit. That they are not a bunch of filthy animals who crawled from some nasty old planet in the distant part of space. This lady finds that very insulting, though it is not clear why. Yeah, so uh, the Galileo parallel, I think, is there so that we know that even though in this episode we see a setback for... His name is Dr. Gagan. It doesn't matter. Um, He's Dr. Stego, and from now on, Galileo is also Dr. Stego. Okay. Uh, But the Galileo is there so that we know that eventually the truth is going to prevail. Yeah. Like, we should expect that sooner or later the Voth will have to come to terms with this theory because science has the benefit of being true. Yeah. Um, And... uh, 
I guess it, it, it one more, which is that a lot of stuff happens in this episode that suggests that both Voyager and the Voth have enough of a handle on the process of evolution that they can sort of predict what courses it'll take. Mm. So in this episode that's sort of about creationism versus evolution, everybody can do evolution really good. Like it's settled law in this universe. So it even kind of takes sides. Yeah. I ended up giving it eight points. I don't blame you. I th- they definitely were. They took all our notes in the time <laughs> yes. in the time device, and they have now decided to create an episode that will try to get some front end points. They kept saying front end in the pitch meetings. I don't know if everyone understood <laughs> what was happening, but yeah, not not everyone was on board. But yeah, that's fine. Yeah, uh, I have right out of Chaco's mouth. New ideas are always met with skepticism and fear, which is fair. Uh, I gave it a six. I think it's a fair take that I, I'm not sure there's another, I'm not sure there's another side to that, what my particular take was. I don't think anyone's like, yeah, no, everyone's always very embracing of new ideas, but it is uh, extremely true. Um, No notes from Ben this week, right? Yeah, we don't have notes from Ben this week. Um, He is uh, welcome to start submitting them again when he's got them, and we will proceed... uh on our own then i will flip around to execution this one felt like a rush job not in the sets or graphics or whatever but in the pacing like literally felt like we were rushing through the episode to me it felt like a 65 minute episode that they squeezed into 42 or something yeah almost like uh well so uh, i i'm not sure that your synopsis really brought home how much this story is told from the dinosaurs point of view oh yeah voyager they are characters who pass in and out of this right this is a lower decks but like this is lowest decks (laughs) not even guys on the ship it's not even people on the ship no one we've really met before although i do have theories about that everything happens so rapidly and even the trial lasts like eight minutes and there isn't time for anything to sink in or have like emotional impact I didn't come away really caring about what happened. No, everybody has to make the shallowest version of every argument because there's no time for anything else. Right. And uh, yeah. Like Measure of a Man was mostly trial. So you could get into stuff. This one is like, there's a lot of stuff setting up the trial and then the episode's over. Um, This one was kinder to scientists than most Star Treks, even though the the dude ain't perfect. Um, It really hammers the fucking government, which is just a fine. Uh... No B-plot, not much to do with Voyager on their mission or anything like that. Uh, for me, it was a four. Definitely not the worst Voyager episode, but um, but had some issues. Uh, I liked it a little better than that. I gave it as many as six. Oh, wow, okay. Um, m- like I said, most of the story is told from the Voth perspective. I would be happier, I think, if they had had the courage to tell all of it from that perspective. Because there's like two or three scenes where it's just like uh, Tom Paris and Tuvok, uh, and uh, Tom's got to run and hide in the Jeffries tubes. Or oh whatever. yeah, he like does a commando mission that leads to nothing and just waste time. Yeah, it's so like in an episode that was a little bit too full, they packed in some stuff that just gave us some scenes from our characters' point of view. And I think if you're doing this dinosaur story, just do it the whole way. Yep. Like, just have a little courage of your convictions. Um, the scene where Janeway and Schmollis go and stand on the holodeck and work out 
how millions of years of evolution would have gone in a few images in a few images on the holodeck is the worst scene in the episode (laughs) i think um it's not amazing they really wanted to show off their great hollow technology it's bad from a screenwriting perspective. Like Janeway just says, now let's go to the holodeck and put it all together. And it's like, what? <laughs> That's right. What? Now Janeway and the doctor go to the holodeck was her first reading of that line. I mean, it was something, it's like really, it was very on the nose. Uh, this really shouldn't be possible. Yeah. Like you shouldn't These be able things to predict are based evolution on... over millions of years unless you know what. What things are being it's selected same... for. Right, it's the same mindset as in the dumb episode of Enterprise, where the Doctor's like, "No, they're yeah, it's in their DNA. They're destined to uh, be out evolved by this other race, so we should let them all die." Yep. Um. So you know these uh these TV these are not Star Trek writers are not science fiction writers. They are television writers. If if only, how cool would it be if they were a bunch of little Asimovs or whatever? It's um it's amazingly clear. Yeah, like that they, no one on Star Trek maybe has ever understood how evolution works. No, that's not a thing that just like happens with a set path that you can plan out from millions of years ago or whatever. Like, right. here's what happened. They know, they know they're on team evolution, yeah. but like, yeah, they don't they don't know about it. Right. Um, uh, Gagan's assistant Veer goes into that coma halfway through. That just mm-hmm. seems like a cheap way to close off that half of the episode. Like another way could just be he escaped. But they got some DNA from the phasers. I don't know, like yeah. At the, or Voyager doesn't have to figure out what's happening at all. Chakotay can tell them when he gets back to the fucking ship. That's right. Yeah, they wanted they wanted something to be done with that guy because he ends up he shows up again in the trial. That's the next time we see him, and he's he's now against Doctor Stego or whatever. He's either been threatened or paid off or whatever. Right. Exactly. So they sort of been. He's the young scientist who doesn't have the courage that Gagan has. So I think when this one was seventy six minutes long, they had more stuff for him to do. Probably. And they had to cut that out. Uh, I thought that the examples Chakotay gave in his speech at the trial were not very convincing, and I would have liked for him to give examples from his history, which he should know about, Yeah. rather than tell them about something he learned on Voth Wikipedia about a time when a scientific idea was not taken seriously. I mean, I got the feeling he was definitely making it up as he went along, like just being like, this, the thing I'm saying sounds reasonable, they can't dispute it, it sounds reasonable. Hmm. Well, they've got transwarp, and there must have been a time when they didn't. So. That's right. Someone must have invented this transwarp, and people probably thought, hey, that's a- He says it held them back for thousands of years or whatever, but <laughs> yeah. like, uh, who knows, right? Anyway, uh, those are my criticisms, but uh, I mean, basically, it's it's like you said, uh, Voyager's usually a lot worse than this. Yes, that's true. Yeah, if I graded this more and on a curve, I think it would have scored higher. It is dispiriting that... Uh, we that I'm here saying Voyager's usually worse than this, and this is an episode that is about an entirely different ship, <laughs> yes. culture, and a cast of characters. Well, this is what happened. They set it up with a bunch of actors who can't act. They wrote characters who we hate. They they don't make the show at all about the character who might be able to make it interesting, which is Captain Janeway. And then when they make it about something completely different, you go, "Oh, that wasn't too bad." Yeah, it's uh, it's like remember when Enterprise was the worst one of these? I do remember. And uh. And then they had that episode, maybe it was called Fortunate Son, that takes place on a freighter. Yeah. And it was like, oh, this is this show's this is more interesting somehow. Yeah, we should learn about the frontier of space. That's exciting. I don't need I don't need uh T Pole tripping and putting her boobs right in Archer's <laughs> face all the time. Wait, are you sure though? Did, wasn't there a points bonus you gave for that? 
Um, you could, I have, plus could two. I have possibly given a positive points bonus? I think you for said that? plus two know. for boobs in the face. That's what I remember. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm a, uh, I'm a six. Um, okay. World building. Do it. Seems like this should get world building points, huh? Yes. Uh, it didn't. I gave it two. <laughs> uh, here's what we learned. You didn't like it. Uh, the mess hall is on deck two. Uh huh. Uh. We have transwarp phasing, and then the Voth and their whole evolution thing. Right. But I find it a little hard imagining that the Voth are going to come up a lot oh, in for the sure. future. Like, this feels like a one-off race. Like, these guys aren't going to want to hang around with Voyager because Voyager's a little bit embarrassing to them. Yeah, for sure. They don't. If they see them, they're going to blow them up, it sounds like. Uh, I. But, however, having said that, I have killed over 200 Voth ships in Star Trek Online. I was going to say. So I guess it's possible these guys will come up again. I was going to say, I know at least in memory beta these guys show up because I have also killed them many times on STO. Yeah. <clears throat> I've flown all around that city ship. I have two Voth ships in my fleet. What a brag. Yeah, I'm just saying. I don't have any Voth ships in my fleet. Anyway. So I just felt like... Although the Voth are interesting and it's something that's about Earth, it's about an Earth that's impossibly far removed. Mm, yeah. And it, I, I don't see it having much impact. So I, I was really only able to give it two world building points. I'll start with the end of my world building that says, so now we've had the Native American realization from Voyager where the aliens came and became oh God, became best what a slap all right a big slap in the face <laughs> became best friends with the native americans because of their great souls or whatever and now we've had the dinosaur realization from voyager that are dinos of the past um like from the land before time or maybe dinosaurs the comedy tv show um yeah became uh, space aliens and flew away from earth in their magic spaceships and uh, went to the other side of the galaxy and they've been in space for millions of years, apparently without finding a planet to live on. Yeah, they're just flying around in this big city ship, and then they talk about how they're from here. They've always been here. This is where they're from. Um, so I had it as Earth is pretty important. Even before humans were spacefaring, apparently shit was just always popping off on Earth. I mean, frankly, it makes sense because Star Trek takes place in a universe where if your shuttle breaks down, don't worry, there is a class M planet three, or moon. Three weeks from here, or I mean, three days from near, here. Nearby. Yeah. Yeah, dude, if your shuttle breaks down and all you got is some Dursky, like, don't worry, there's a desert planet to land on. Yep. Drisky? Yeah, I think it's Drisky. What did I say? <laughs> Dursky, but <laughs> I, honestly, it doesn't really matter. Anyway, yeah, yeah, there's a desert planet. Don't worry about it. It'll be a little hot. It's not a big deal. Um, uh, let's see. Continuity with that one where they were stuck on Dino Planet when the Kazons took over Voyager. That's where they found that guy, right? Like, the way it, it zoomed in yeah, on that cave. So, yes, but was that a Dino Planet? I, I mean, there were cavemen's. There, was a, there were cavemen's. There was a cave worm or whatever that ate that guy. I don't know what it was. Uh, yeah, there was a big worm from Doom. It was definitely supposed to be prehistoric with all the volcanoes and shit that were going on. Right. But I don't know. Are these guys the same? These guys aren't the same guys as mm. the one where Neelix had an egg, right? Well, that was my other question. I okay. remember a dino couple coming to pick up a dino baby from a cave uh, not that long ago when TP and Neelix learned to agree to disagree or whatever the hell they learned. And I immediately, when I saw this dino, went, hey, is that the same dino? Are these the same dudes? I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, 
the problem is Star Trek is fucking chock full of lizard men. I know. It turned, that's what they talk. These guys talk about how they don't even get along with non-Saurians that well, which implies there are some other Saurians around. So yeah, well, I mean, so we've got there's the reptiles, Indy. Yep. Uh, there's uh, the Gorn, Gorn for sure. Uh, uh probably whichever, more. whichever of the Soleil and the Anticus oh, are the lizard men. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. I forgot about those guys. How could I forget about those guys? They're so amazing. Uh, did we score that episode real high? What was I the hope name we of that did. Episode? Hold on, let me. I got, I got Landrew. Let me check. I'm subscribed to Landrew. I get all the updates. Uh, they get sent to my email. What episode was that? It's early, man. It's like episode seven or something early. Was it Lonely Among Us? Is that the one? Yeah, six. With those boys, we did not score it well. Uh, no, 26, not, not good. Well, to be fair, uh, you I scored, scored it six it well. points higher than me. Yeah. You liked it a lot more than me, <laughs> yeah. including on world building, apparently. Yeah. That was its strength. Uh, world building was its strength. Actually, we both gave it a four. I wonder what that was that you can exist in pure energy probably and just be trans. Oh yeah, probably be transported all around like something, huh? <laughs> and then you can cure death. You can get back into the computer and kind of work, work it around <laughs> you and can, make a pee appear. You can cure death just by beaming up an older version of somebody or something. It's one of those, oh, right? Oh, boy. Anyway. Uh, I mean, that's not that specific one, because that was definitely the one where, where Pulaski got the future flu. Still, they did they did just take it take his pattern right out of the buffer or whatever, I think. Um, that is true. Okay. Uh, so, anyway, I thought that was I thought that was pretty clearly continuity from K- that when the Kazon kicked him off. Um, a lot of Voth stuff that won't ever matter again, I, I say pretty definitively here. Shared DNA between Voth and humans, spatial displacement and transwarp. These dinos say the humans smell just like the Vulcans think. Um, and then again, all that stuff I had about how it turns out Earth was just always important, just forever. It's just always had so much popping off there. I mean, one of my two cats thinks I smell. <laughs> Is it uh, Charlie? No, nah, it's Harley. Really? Harley's yeah. so chill, though. He's like the Chaco of cats. He is, he is real chill, but like... After I pet him for a while, he then licks himself entirely. <laughs> He's like, fuck this guy. <laughs> Whereas uh, uh, Charlie maybe loves my smell because he rubs himself all over me. Oh, you know like, what? Give me you smell like stink. Charlie now, and that's what Harley hates. Ah, that's probably what it is. Now it's just uh, like it it's reinforcing itself over and over again. Charlie is clearly the TP of cats, and Harley is the Chaco of cats. I mean, he wouldn't use a tricorder on those remains, probably. That's what I'm saying. Um, anyway, for me, it was a five. Oh, okay. Wow. When was the last? Uh, when was the last five issued in world building to a Voyager? Uh, I was in week fifty-eight. We both yeah. gave fives to the Paradise Syndrome, probably for the stolen aliens or the aliens stealing actual Native Americans. Um, Paradise. I gave Syndrome. a five to life support. Paradise Syndrome. That was the... What the fuck episode was Life Support? Is it still Voyager? Vedic Burial eats oh. shit. No, it's a DS9. Yeah, it's a DS9. It's, yeah, that, that, that is Vedic And Burial. you gave a 5 to the shipment. That week... Oh, that week got a good world-building score. I mean, again, 5 out of 10. Sort of the... <laughs> that's yeah, That one's hard but, to score in. What's the best world-building score week? Oh. That was week 41. Oh, wait, maybe not. It's a 9.8. Is anything higher than a 9.8? Oh, man. These numbers yeah, are very point. granular. Did everyone, well, did everyone see the spreadsheet? This, this is a good spreadsheet. Everybody out I there, mean, check out four, Landrew. 
Week four, the yeah, Naked Time, The Last Outpost, Babel, Phage, and Unexpected. One, that was a, you should do a lot of uh, world building early in series, but two, we hadn't really worked out the scoring yet. Yeah. Yeah. We had certainly hadn't settled on the idea of the standard three yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what it tends to be, though. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, this is getting points front and back end from you. Yeah, this is going to be the greatest Voyager episode of all time or whatever. So how to do in characterization? Uh, four. Just a four. Uh, okay. TP wants Bellana to wear a kimono and do a tea ceremony or whatever weird racial things people fetishize. By that I mean he wants uh, to that's... do a Batleth thing with her on the hall. Yeah, he wants to go Batlething. Yeah. He's also the only crewman who manages to do any fighting after the phasers go down. These dudes are so helpless without their energy weapons. <laughs> Everyone just stands there and goes, What do I do? I push the button. I'll push it again. Yeah, they don't have, they haven't maintained a fencing tradition like the Klingons in Kirk's time. That's right. So when all of the phasers turn into swords, they're in a lot of trouble. Or also, um, Starfleet in Kirk's time, because when all their phasers turned into swords, they were doing some real fencing too. <laughs> There's a lot of yeah. fencing going on on both sides. I mean, it is true that you're right that all of the fighting that was done was stage fencing. Yeah. Uh, Chaco is so fucking disarming, it makes me puke. <laughs> he sweet talks the shit out of that judge empress before that he'd done it to dr stego it's like he's he's so unbelievably they wrote the chillest dude ever he's just like okay you've no, got me captured no, i'm not worried about it he was he was real chill in that episode where the borg fucked with him hard <laughs> yeah uh and frankly he was pretty chill about the whole integrating with starfleet thing too well i mean he, that was so his greatest I'd, wish Aside from that one time when he punched that guy, that's the Maquis chill way. is kind of his setting. That's right. Uh, Janeway's still barely in it and still extremely fucking cocky. The only moment she seems worried the whole episode is when she pushes the button on her phaser and it doesn't work. Yep. Other than that, she fucking struts around telling this Voth guy to eat her butthole the whole time. <laughs> she really does. After they've beamed her entire ship inside of their ship and turned off her ship and all their weapons. Yep. It's kind of wild. Yep, some dinosaur's right in her fucking face, and she's like, all right. You'll never stop us. And Tom Paris is like, sorry, Captain, my commando plan failed. And she's like, don't worry, Tom, we'll get him next time. It's like, (laughs) what's happening? Does she know what episode she's in? Then later when they let them go, they probably don't even tell her why. Yeah. And she's got a Chicotes comes back on board and she's like, I knew we'd get out of this somehow. We, like, you should have seen it. It was our resolve. We did nothing. Even I did nothing. I stared eye to eye with a honestly, dinosaur. We're, again, we're lucky we met a nice dinosaur. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. So just the, just the four for me. Um, uh, well, I only gave it three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicote is fine. Again, I, I prefer this Chakotay to uh, that weird crash test dummy that just sits next to Janeway most of the time (laughs) or says, I'm not afraid to admit it. I've never seen anything like this. I'm not afraid to say it. Like what? So, you know, he has a a good outing this week. He makes first contact. Yeah. He uh, gives a a a decent argument in the trial. I'd actually say he... Every time he gets captured is when he shines. He's like, I'm going to yeah. be so chill. These guys will have no choice but to fucking do whatever I say. Remember when he got yeah, captured like, by those dudes oh, in that guy, cave? This guy is, is like, 
pretty cool for a face tattoo. In the one where Balana was mad horny and they got captured in that cave and he was just like, yep. and he, hey, he had the, I get it. He, those guys are now his allies, I'm pretty sure. I get it. Like, not Voyager's allies or Janeway's allies, but Chakotay's allies specifically. She was on one. I get where you're coming from. I'm right That's there with you. One of my very few quick hitters in this is Chicote is better at diplomacy than Janeway. Oh, it's not even close. It's like so not even close. Has she not messed up any of the uh, opportunities she's had? Nah, she's pretty much fucked them all. Yeah. Uh, Janeway stands around issuing empty threats this week. Yes. Uh, Tom Paris punches a Voth. Yes. Really, there's not much else from our crew, so it's hard for this to score many points, even if it had been good. Fair. I gave it three. And, and those points basically all go to Chicote. That's right. This was Chaco's episode, if it was anybody's. Um, I have very few quick hitters. Do it. Uh, I think that the consensus now is that dinosaurs were also endotherms. Uh-oh. Uh, also warm-blooded. Uh, birds are. Uh-oh. So they they make a big deal about this. Um, in fact, I knew this in the 90s. Uh-oh. <laughs> So it would have been possible for Voyager to know this, but for a long time, I think the idea was that dinosaurs were cold-blooded. Well, ain't they? Which aren't the lizards? The lizards that exist today are cold-blooded, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's probably the why small people lizards that. that exist today are, are cold-blooded for sure. Yeah, um, sexy, sexy, sexy. This guy has got a little uh, lava lamp with a bunch of flies swinging around hmm. that he eats with his by extending his tongue. That's like a little snack, right? That can't be all these big dudes eat. Yeah, dude, that's his fucking, that's his lawyer's snack. I assume that's, a guy like, that's what they call it in Korea. I why does that guy eat so many Tic Tacs? Why is that guy eating Tic Tacs all day? He's got like a weird Tic Tac addiction. It's fucking gross, actually. Sometimes he's this got like 12 like in his mouth at a time. It's nasty. This is going to be like that episode of House where John Cho died because he had a, uh, fuck, I'm not good with words today. And you remember a big jaw abscess, but he was eating. So he was just pounding Tic Tacs all the time. And when, when house went broke into his apartment and found a whole crate of Tic Tacs, he was like, wait, what's going on? (laughs) That's uh, by the way, that's how, you know, house is good at his job. I would have gone a lot of Tic Tacs. That would have been it. (laughs) This guy likes Tic Tacs. I guess I'm not a doctor. (laughs) I just sort of be like, God, look at this guy and his fucking Tic Tacs. Wait, you remember the guest stars on those episodes? I, but first of all, I don't remember anything about any of the episodes. But if I did, I'd probably just remember, you know, the one where the the guy had uh, Lyme disease or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't remember who the guest stars were. Uh, you know, my memory is pretty good. Uh, my recall of words is not doing me, not serving me well today. Mm. But yeah, I I remember that one. I don't know. Well, interesting. Maybe because after that, every time I wake up with bad breath, I'm just like, oh, I'm probably dying from a huge abscess in my jaw. <laughs> it's like John Cho syndrome. Yeah, John, I got John Cho syndrome. <laughs> uh, and then I wrote, I get it. It's a Galileo. And then uh, at the end, Chicote gives Gagan a globe. Uh, he should throw that in the trash as soon as Chicote. That's going to get him in trouble. Don't let anybody catch you with that globe, man. Well, luckily no one knows what Earth is. He'll just have to lie every time. Be like, oh, I don't know. Some make them up, I think. It's a Chris- it's a Christmas ornament for dinosaur Christmas. It's like human Christmas, but we have it in April. <laughs> Some kind of make them up planet? I've never heard of it. I don't know. Uh, I gave best actor to Gagan and worst actor to Veer. Mm. Maybe I was just mad because his name was Veer, yeah. but he wasn't Veer. He wasn't Veer Kato, for sure. Veer Kato. 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 I don't the, know. Probably the best Veer. 
uh, fourth place last week. No, I didn't do my quick hitters. Oh, you have no, quick hitters. give them to me. No, <laughs> give them to me. This is a crime. Uh, in real time, I think scientists are about to be taken down another peg by Gene's disciples. <laughs> yeah, this one's not about scientists; it's about religious. Yep, idiots. Uh, this dino has big, beefy, non-gloved hands, and he's just feeling this skull up. He could easily smash it to shit. Um, I recognize this bad this bad dino's voice. Babylon Five, son. The the assistant guy. He played uh, the the sword Narn that Sheridan is buddies with. Samurai Narn. Oh, from season three maybe? yeah three ish is probably right roughly three is he's when that he appears up? in two when uh sheridan gets kidnapped by the aliens and he's also already kidnapped this guy and he puts an implant in the other guy's brain to make him attack sheridan because he wants to see if they can kill each other this alien's kind of a dick um are these the aliens that space the prisoners yes okay yep uh that scene was disturbing when i was 12 and then Sher- or 13 well it's because of the bad cgi bodies floating around in space it was so real i didn't like it also, Ivanova didn't like it, I think I took a cue from that. You just good. <laughs> you should always do what Ivanova thinks, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, you're right. She, I, so I do the wild thing, too. She assumes Sheridan is in that uh, that CGI pile, and she is not into it at all. And then that guy... Well, each of those bodies is eight pixels, so how could you tell? And then that guy owes Sheridan a blood oath forever or whatever, so he keeps showing up after that. Um, so this Circle of Elders is a... Yes. Is a court? Or, like, is she the president? I don't really get it. They go to them to get permission to get a big fleet out there looking for Voyager, but it's just one lady, and then that lady also serves as his accuser and judge? Yeah, it's a weird... It doesn't... There doesn't seem to be... legal procedure. (laughs) And also, she's responsible for everything, it sounds like. There's no lawyer Picard in this one. They don't convene the judge advocate general or whatever. No, no Philippa Lavoie. So I I guess I guess you have to if again if we're doing Galileo I guess you have to assume that there's some kind of religious inquisition. Okay, so but she's responsible for the fleet, and she's responsible for r- ruining this guy because he he's a uh, a heretic. Good, 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 good. Well, I know they left a lot on the cutting room floor, so there's going to be a lot more. Um. And again, that dino baby in that cave was that Avoth baby. So that's it. <clears throat> uh, fourth place last week was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched Through the Looking Glass. Ba 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 ba! No, I'm louder. Ba 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 ba! Ba 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 ba! I'm louder. I'm the one. I mean, you get. You have final edit. You can. You can nope. make me as quiet as you want. Nope, no, I'm louder than than that song, and anyone who says otherwise needs to listen a goddamn to this liar. podcast to hear the truth. I'm through the looking glass. Uh, Odo has shut down Quark's vole fighting operation when O'Brien comes to ops in his civvy clothes and takes Cisco to the transporter pad at gunpoint. <laughs> O'Brien, the heck. <sighs> They beam to some ship, and O'Brien tells them they're through the looking glass, so that's the name of the episode. Credits. Um, Smiley has a plan that only Cisco can pull off. They in the alternate universe, and he needs him to seduce Dr. Professor Jennifer Cisco, his alter wife. That's right. So she doesn't complete her cool new sensor design that will allow the evil alliance, again, in the dumb mirror universe... To find the secret rebel bases in the Badlands. The Alter Badlands. 
Cisco's all in because he gets to see Jennifer again. Um, yep. And he goes to the Rebel hideout to begin planning. All our altar friends are there, including Alter Tuvork. Tuvok is there. Yep. Just, you but know. No one says his name uh, or anything like that, but it is intended to be Tuvok. And he it is, is a Tuvok. Vulcan it's played not by Tim, Tim Russ. Russ as a different Vulcan. Yep. It is Tuvok. Yep. And Rick Berman said, can you please put Tuvok in there? We need a Voyager this is the guy. first season of Voyager. Yeah. You're in the Badlands. Please put a Voyager in there. And for some reason, they picked Tuvok. Well, he's the most recognizable. You couldn't be like, if it was like Beltran or someone, you'd be like, maybe he's just playing another guy. Unless he had that tattoo. With, okay. If he had so, the same tattoo, because it okay. would be Chakotay. So if it was TP, you'd be like, maybe that's just Nick Lacarno. I don't know. Yeah, TP would be, you can't you can't have him. It's too confusing, but it should have been Chakotay. Maybe if it was a Hollow Doctor, you could be like. Torres could have been there. If it was a Hollow Doctor, you'd be like, that's just a different EMH. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> choosing true. good examples. This is bad example. Um, if it had been Lieutenant Carey, you would have been like, "Who's that guy?" Yeah, who's that fucking curly-headed fuck? Um, Rebel Dax walks up and and slaps Cisco and then takes him back and fucks him. This episode yeah. is on one. <laughs> it's the perfect perfect way to describe this episode. Uh, Kira and Garrick do a character scene. Cisco punches Alter Bashir for questioning his authority, and then we see that. Alter Rom, who's supposed to be a good guy and part of the gang, is spying for the Alliance. He tells nasty, naked Kira all about the rebel plan. (laughs) Smiley and Sisko are immediately captured en route to uh, the station, and Sisko talks himself into sexy times with sex Kira, I'm going to call her, instead of a quick death. Uh, Jennifer comes to visit him later. They speak in extreme generalities for people who used to be married. And six is true. Cisco makes his case for her to join him and the rebellion. I'm getting a feeling about how you felt about this episode. <laughs> Cisco forces an answer out of Jennifer and enacts his master plan: overpower two armed Klingon guards, communicate with Smiley over the weird subcutaneous transponder he's implanted with. Uh, Smiley will knock out an armed Cardi guard, set off some alarms, and raise a general rebellion in the mining area of Terok North. That distraction will allow Sisko to get to his ship, kill more guards along the way, and whoops, get cornered at the airlock. Brilliant stuff. Anyway, banter, 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 escape, escape, escape. Sisko activated the station's self-destruct sequence and uses it as leverage to get off the station with Jennifer. Sisko and Jennifer chat, and he reveals he's not her Sisko, and he heads back to his realm episode over. That was a very brief description. I'm sorry. Was there were there things that happened in this episode that were not included? No. Okay. And that's the trouble. <laughs> okay. Right. Was uh, uh, what was this one about? The last episode was called Crossover, right? The last time we visited the Mirror Universe. Yeah. So you and I have a fun history with this DS9 Mirror Universe. That episode I gave 21 points and Ooh. you gave 11. Oh, that's one of our big splits. That is one of our top splits. Wow. Um, I no take. This is a no take, and I. This is one. Look, I rarely will no take if I think they're playing around an issue, dancing mm-hmm. around an issue, and I just can't put it into words. I usually figure out something. I never got close on this, this one. This was a to tough what one. this could be about. This was just a romp. Yeah. This the is basically, that, I, honestly, I think this was a chance for the characters to get to play fun versions of their normally shitty characters. Right, yeah. 
Here's what I wrote. The reason Cisco ultimately wins is that he knows the station access codes from his universe. What does that teach us? <laughs> also, why are they the same? They can't be the same. It's Listen, this is this is why I don't like the mirror universe any better than <laughs> yes. I like time travel. Yeah, they're it bad. It makes you ask questions that there are no answers to. Wait, I assumed he got the codes when he was fucking Kira. He just knew them? I think, oh, I assumed that was because those are his codes. Uh. I don't believe, Kira certainly acted like he shouldn't have known the code. She looked, she gives a great frustrated performance where she has to eat it in front of everybody that he has the codes. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> um, yeah, so, I mean, I no-taked it, so it's a zero. I mean, yeah. I scored it zero. That's extremely fair. Uh, all I could come up with was never trust a big dick and a smile, I guess. I mean, seriously, Alterdax, Kira, and Jennifer are all taken in by what they think is their Cisco. That dude yeah. had some fucking magnetism. Well, it makes sense. I think when we met Rebel, human Rebel Cisco, working uh-huh. for the Intendant in Crossover, he was definitely more care. He was like Clock Cisco. Yes, which, by the way, I don't know who told Cisco what to do, but he is Clock Cisco in this episode. Whenever yeah, he needs exactly. to be old, like um, Alter Cisco, he just becomes Clock Cisco. Clock Cisco, and it's like, uh, well, I like Clock Cisco better. So <laughs> it's true. I, I'd fuck it, him. I, frankly, it makes sense to me that they're all. Uh, more into Clock Cisco than they would be into Cisco Prime. Okay, but, like, but what about Nice Dad Cisco? Look, uh, I like Nice Dad Cisco too, but he's not seductive. But he gives you that stability. You know what I mean? Yeah. Listen, do I wish Reliability? Cisco was my dad instead of my human dad? Of course. <laughs> this is not what this podcast is for. This is not a therapy it's episode. That's it's next not therapy. Week. But like, we, he even has an interest in baseball. It's like pretty. It's pretty similar. Yeah, and he doesn't always complain about how the athletes. Um, fucking i don't even know what his qualm was they wanted too much money and he'll never be a sports fan again or whatever yes he is but but a non-sports fan who watches nothing but sports sports, all day every day day, every sport (laughs) every single sport sport, every day uh when a commercial break comes on turn over to another game or another sport either one yep sorry therapy um therapy 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 uh, anyway, he nails Dax to get the gang on his side, nails Kira to make the plan work, and I thought Steeler codes, but maybe he just had them, and at least impresses Jennifer enough that she joins the cause and gets to be, um, gets to be on the, the rebel side. And let's be real, he was probably gonna nail her, but it seemed shitty to do that and then go back to his universe, so he didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> that one, he res- restrained himself a little. Obviously, I can't give a lot of points for this, so it's just a one for me. But, um... They all get taken in by this dude for sure. So I guess it works the same way as some of the bad ones where that's uh, you shouldn't trust a lady. This one's so it's kind of like in the end, uh, charisma is what matters. Charisma is what's dangerous. Something like that. Or uh, maybe we're back to a leadership question. Maybe he's able to lead this ragtag group with his uh, clock Cisco charisma. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. There wasn't anything really happening. It was uh, a like if I felt like he had learned anything here that would make him a more effective leader on Deep Space Nine, whereas we have seen he is often disinterested. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll see some more clock Cisco in the future. But, like, uh, we don't really see the end. We don't really see him show up on our Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Uh, So, like, I don't know. Does he get get there and wink at Dax? Like, what's up? Well, we'll have... Oh, unfortunately, we have a lot to talk about. Okay. But let me go to execution. Yeah, please. Yes, please. Mm, Low scoring as usual for the dumb way they handle time paradoxes and alternate universes. So we were the same on that. Um, O'Brien's plan, what the whole episode about, is comical. <laughs> His entire plan, and I guess this is maybe because Smiley is not married. Sure. 
is uh, surely a wife could who could not resist the charms of her uh, ex-husband. Yes, once upon a time, theoretically could not resist him, but very is doing a very good job of resisting his charms these days. Um, yeah, I'm going to go to the alternate universe to steal me a six-pack of Cisco's. I imagine he would have just kept trying, right? There must be more than one alternate universe, so... I'm just going to get all the Cisco's I can until one of these Cisco's can convince Jennifer Cisco that she should stop her sensor plan. He has the ability to beam into an alternate universe, Mm -hmm. but he can't beam in and blow up Jennifer Cisco's lab. Yep. And by the way, this is all based on the fact that he doesn't want to kill her for reasons of maybe her science will help us do good. As if that's how it works. As if you get one scientist, then suddenly the tide of the war is going to turn because you're going to be able to do all the science with your no lab space resources or anything else. Well, and can I say particularly uh, a scientist whose big breakthrough is good sensors Mm -hmm. when like... uh, Tarak Noor is a stationary target. Yeah, <laughs> you don't right? need sensors for that one for sure. And in ge- I think in general, if you are fighting the guerrilla side of the war, yeah, sensors are not going to be your problem. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I've only seen like, it nine... makes sense that these guys need a way to find the secret. Yeah, in the Badlands, Badlands bases or whatever. But there are probably essentially an infinite number of Klingon Cardassian Alliance targets that never change their position. Yep. And again, as far as I can see, I've the most I've seen is nine dudes in a cave and one ship. Their big problem is not sensors. Yeah. Sensors are not going to be it. That's not what's holding them back in this war. (laughs) But again, in Star Trek, any scientist can do any science Mm -hmm. except in the Voyager episode. We just talked about where the scientist is going to get punished by being sent to work on metallurgy. Yep. With because they know that's, that's not boring. his area and he's not going to be able to do anything. He's going to essentially become a nobody in that field. Yep. Yeah. It's that's not... the only realistic portrayal of science in Star Trek. It's not. Uh... So I don't understand Smiley's plan. It just like, especially when everyone else in that room's plan is to blow her up or blow up her lab or whatever, which they all yes. seem very sure they can do. But his plan is to steal a Cisco. And talk her into joining their side. So anyway, the whole so right, premise... Right from the jump, the whole thing sucks. Yeah, the whole premise is uh, ridiculous. I don't know what's worse. That none of this will matter unless we go back to this universe a lot more, which is scary. Or the possibility that we're going back to this universe a lot more. Like, what is... Th- like, that it's not going to matter? That this was a waste of time? Or that it is going to matter because we're going to keep coming back? Well, and frankly, this is the second trip. So... Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. We the, have every the, reason to think we're coming back. The only reason to suspect that we're not that we might not come back is because uh, Prime Universe characters keep getting killed there. Like <laughs> yeah. we lost Odo and oh, we lost Rom this time. Odo and Quark. Yeah, Quark Did died they, in the first. They one. both died in the first one. Rom died in this one. Yep. I just so, uh, oh, and and Cisco died off screen in this universe. Yeah. Mirror Cisco. So I'm just we're saying, down four characters in that universe, but that's the only reason to expect we won't go back. Whereas seeing it a second time strongly hints that we will. Yeah, I kept rolling around in my head, and I was like, "None of this even matters." And I was like, "Wait, what if it does matter? Because we're gonna have to keep doing this." Yeah. Um, Cisco is actually the focus of this episode, which is a big plus, even though it's a dumb alternate universe episode. He gets to do some pining for his for his wife. Some clock acting, some action. 
and generally everybody gets to play more fun versions of their normal characters and all the actors seem more engaged and interested in what they're doing. But that's really the only bright spot of this episode, which gets a two. Well, you know, my policy required me to give this a zero. I know, I understand. We're not going to relitigate all of those other ones. Having said that, I have a lot of thoughts. Okay. Uh, First of all, this one is a lot worse than the last journey here. This is rough. Uh, Last last time we saw Intendant Kira, she was in love with herself and lusted after herself. Yeah, that was pretty good. Now she's interesting trait. (laughs) Now she's just bisexual and she's cranky because she hasn't had dick. But Since she's Cisco died. Okay, but to be fair, she's aggressively bisexual. They want yeah, it to be clear right. in pretty much every scene if they can that she is bisexual. Whereas, see, she was just a she was a wild and I, by the way, I don't care about her being bisexual. I think it's a dumb trope that evil characters yes. have uh what would have in the 90s been considered aberrant sexuality like Th- That's what I'm it saying. Was, they, it was dumb in that first James Bond movie. Yep. Uh it was dumb in it's it's dumb here. Let's just yeah. They, it's dumb every everywhere it shows up, and it shows up all the time in the '90s and 2000s, and probably even sneaks through in some movies today. In every scene, they make clear both that she is a bad guy and that she is into both sexes. That's all that matters. That's right. So yeah. Uh, whereas that was not what they were doing in crossover, and it worked in crossover. So yeah. that sucks. Um, Cisco pretends to be someone else and sleeps with both Dax and Kira. It's, I mean, the Kira thing... It's extremely... It's very bad. The Kira thing is like, oh, it's part of the plan. What are you going to do? We got caught. This is the only way out. She's evil. He's seducing her, etc., etc. It's obviously that's less heinous, but the The Dax Dax thing... Okay, so explain this. that ain't great. Explain how this goes down, because she takes him back there, and she starts to get on him, and what does he do? it's time to get physical, because she thinks that her lover, Cisco is dead, Uh and now here he is before her in the flesh... So what does he and do? And she wants some reunion sex. So first he's like, oh, I don't know, I want to work. And then she's like, oh, there will be time for that later. And then he, he says, I guess there will. And then they just <laughs> fuck. And he starts kissing her on the shoulder. And I thought, fucking Cisco has been trying. He's been wanting to do this forever. And he couldn't because his old friend was in there or whatever. And so he couldn't do it. But I definitely got the feeling that he's like, well, I guess uh, no one's going to find out about this. <laughs> yeah. So horrible. I mean, it definitely suggests, like, it really, he really should be like, oh, God, I mean, Dax? Yeah. Like, no. Nah, though. It's, uh... Because when she comes on to him, when she gets the Jake Loves Kira virus, and she starts coming on to him, I forget what that was. Was it not? It was Loxana Troy going crazy, right? Yeah, she was having a Sarek out there. Uh, yeah, so when when she gets Sarek'd and starts coming on to him, and then remember that the, at the end of the episode, it is revealed that all of those feelings are latent inside of those people. <sighs> That's another one of those episodes? Is that one of the 50 episodes where they say that at yes, the end? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Uh, that sucked. Um, so she comes on to him. So she's got those feelings for him. So I guess it's reasonable that Mirror Universe Dax does too. Um. But he resists in that. But I guess I, I guess it was there under the surface there too, huh? And the only thing it was keeping it from happening maybe is that he's her commander, or maybe <sighs> that she is constantly reminding him of all the times they, uh, yeah, well, went to Klingon bars and uh, fucked ladies. Well, this is another thing. So I've talked about this extensively in characterization, but we're already very much in it. So, okay, in Prime Universe, he's old friends with Dax, 
from when he was Curzon Dax. Right. Maybe in alternate universe, they weren't old friends. Maybe he just met her as new Dax or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, fine. But, if alternate universe Cisco and Dax got together, who cares? We don't know anything about them. Yeah. But, 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 but. if her name is Dax, that means she's joined. Which means yes. his old buddy is still in there, whether or not in the other universe they were old buddies. Yep, that's right. So She's still Dax. That's why I said, does he want to bang her in the prime timeline too, but can't. Because, like... Well, I mean, is There's that... no difference. It's still a joined Dax with his old buddy Curzon, whether or not alternate Curzon and alternate Cisco were buddies. Like, he can't... He can't... I mean, it really... It plays like he can't come up with an excuse, and he's just like... Not to me. Yeah, she, she, but, but, he protests way, once. She goes, "Nah, come on, let's fuck." And then he's like, "In, he's just in there." No one attempts to explain why he can't tell them he's Cisco from the other universe. Yeah, Smiley knows. What's the big deal? Smiley knows. Ever seems fine. Well, he should like he could just tell Dax, "I'm not your Cisco. I'm from another universe." Yep. We don't have that relationship there. Like, it's like or it's... if he has to keep it secret. Listen, husband and wives have found ways to tell each other, no, I don't want to have sex tonight, since husbands and wives have been invented. That's right, yep. It's not, it is not a critical, it would not blow his cover. It's just part of uh, Smiley's convoluted, ridiculous plan, that he has to yeah. pretend to be their Cisco. Anyway, it makes, uh, it really makes me, Cisco come off as a bad guy to me. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. And I know that, again, you're right, that's characterization, but characterization is a problem with this episode. Sure. Another problem. What's Tuvok doing there? It's unnecessary, and it it nothing happens as a result. He's just in the background. He I think he makes a logical argument or two, and then otherwise is not in the episode. Right. Uh, uh, when Garrick shouts "pursue," it's uh, unintentionally funny. It is. He's playing such a big version of Sly Garrick. Yes, which is not fun. Uh, Bashir is terrible as uh animal bashir I guess. <laughs> well i was gonna call him like bon jovi bashir or something he's yeah, got sure. some, he's got some hair issues going on in that thing and then they made the the MacGuffin in this better censors i know i mean it's just it wouldn't have scored a lot of points even if i didn't have my system but it scored zero this is a, not a good episode <clears throat> Um, but what about all the great world building? Uh, the mirror universe has transporters that can reach our universe. Mm -hmm. This should make them an existential threat. <laughs> That's right. But I'm guessing was, no one's going to be concerned about it. Yeah, what's Maybe being Cisco done? won't even tell anybody. What's being done at Starfleet fucking R&D? What are we working on? We see uh, cloaked Galors as a result of the Klingon-Cardassian alliance in this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, station codes are the access codes are the same in both universes for some reason and that's so dumb and so bad yep that uh, i scored this one point for world building it's exactly as dumb as all of the characters being in the same spot at the same time yeah. <laughs> it's very much the same thing uh more vol infestations continuity is that is there are those points is that points for you the Vols are back. They've been talking about them before. Uh, Morn has multiple hearts. I'm trying to mine from that first scene before they went to the Mirror Universe. <sighs> Continuity with the events of last season's episode. And since I guess we're going to keep coming back here, that matters. 
Um, the new rebellion led by Cisco after Bashir and Kira did some shit in that universe last year and freed Smiley or whatever the hell happened. That's who it yeah. was, right? It was Bashir and, and Kira. They, and they convinced Cisco to start this rebellion as right. part of that, right? Yes, I think that's right at the end there. Uh, transspectral sensors, whatever that means. Was it Bashir and Kira or Kira and Dax? No, I, I think you're right. It was Bashir. Yeah, Bashir was like stuck in the mines the whole time. And yeah, it wasn't his part wasn't really anything. I wonder how big the Badlands are. Like, oh, yeah, you'd think knowing their bases are in there might be enough for them to just systematically go through that shit. But apparently they just like cannot track them down in the Badlands. Maybe they're fucking huge. I have no idea. We should check out one of those nasty Okudagrams or uh, memory beta star charts or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a two for me. Well, uh, yeah. now is the time when we talk about characterization. Quark is also into Vol fighting, along with all of the other things that he's into. Uh, Jesus, we get that alternate Kira is bisexual, like they tell us in each scene. So there, we talked about that. Uh, Nana Visitor is having way too much fun playing sex Kira. Yeah. It's uh, it's also a better performance than she gives as real Kira, but... Well, that was certainly how I felt about the Intendant the first time. <laughs> yeah. But she's definitely... She's fucking leapt fucking with both feet into this role. Cisco is on some Janeway-level ego in this episode. He is... Thoroughly unworried about pretending to be their Cisco, seducing Jennifer, facing overwhelming odds against the Alliance. He's just, like, uh, all cocky and full of those good struts. Just strutting all over. Yep. And like, we t- Cis- like uh, Smiley told him, yeah, you gotta be confident here. That's right. And uh, he was just like, cool, I heard your one note. <laughs> he, t- he said to him, uh, uh, if you're gonna hit 400, you gotta be loose. <laughs> that's what the uh, that's what the umpire told Ted Williams in the last game of the 1941 season. And if I, by the way, if I were Ted Williams, I'd go. Fuck, do you know about it? <laughs> I'm hitting 399. What are you doing? You're behind the plate, and I'm hitting 399. <laughs> yeah, I don't need your fucking advice. But I guess, I guess I I wouldn't have made. He, he was not well liked. I guess I would have been even less well liked. Um, and then all the stuff about fucking Dax and what that means. It ends with me just saying, "What do I do?" Because it was very disturbing to me. Uh, is Rebel Cisco just Clock Cisco? Um, Alter O'Brien is more of an engineer than Real O'Brien has ever been. Nobody would call Real O'Brien Tinkerer. No, he does not have that reputation, does he? Real O'Brien, the tactical officer of the Rutledge and transporter chief, because they didn't know where else to put him on Enterprise. Yeah. Somehow it becomes head of operations, and everything on the station is broken every episode. Yeah, and he mostly complains that he doesn't have time to fix things or doesn't have... No, it's just time. He doesn't even complain yeah. about staff or resources. Just time. It's a, he's a real belly... He's a real belly acre. He just doesn't... He doesn't really do very much on that station. But this alternate O'Brien seems like he's on the ball. Got a whole nickname and everything. Um, Listen, we have, we have said it many times, particularly during season one when he was a nightmare. But they... They brought over Conundrum O'Brien or whatever. Power Play O'Brien? Power, Power Play, Play O'Brien. O'Brien. Conundrum O'Brien. Was he in that one? He might have been. I don't remember if he's in Conundrum. For for some reason, that by the way, that's the episode I can never remember the name of. But now you've <laughs> inserted it into but another now episode. now I can only remember it wrong. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they brought over the bad O'Brien to DS9, and his character just really sucks here. He's just a guy whose wife hates him and uh, who complains. That's what I was thinking the whole time. Smiley's so much better than than our O'Brien. Can we do this? Can we switch? Can we just or just kill O'Brien, which they love to do? <laughs> That's right. He's already been dialing and three replace times. him with Smiley. That's what I'm saying. Can we do a switch? Just Can do we a have... Harry Kim, and now he's just Smiley. That's right. And Smiley's but Smiley had a real shit life, and so he's way cooler. I mean, this O'Brien is already O'Brien plus three hours. That's right. We've already broken the seal. We've already show. replaced O'Brien, and we've had a, a clone that we spent a whole episode with that ended up dying. Mm-hmm. I say go full Smiley. Um. It's a two for me on the strength of all of the all of the actors got to have a lot more fun playing their dumb characters. So some of the performances are better. Um, but everything going on with Cisco is wild. Well, uh, we agree. I also awarded it as many as two points. Mm-hmm. Um, Cisco really shouldn't have kissed all those ladies. I'm just going to start there. Okay. And then I'm going to ask some questions. Oh, good. How does he feel about seeing Jennifer again? How does Sleepy. he feel about leaving the Terran resistance behind? Like, going back home? Ready. He's ready to do that. How does he feel about Rom's death? I'm not sure he noticed. They were so excited to show him shooting Klingons and seducing Kira that they forgot better stuff. Like, yeah, there's some what st- any of this means to the one character we're going back home with. Yeah, yeah, there's some stuff with Jennifer where it looks like he's. I don't know what he's going for. I said pining. He he's mostly he sounds a little sleepy. Yeah, they didn't they didn't really go hard on that. It was like he wanted to look at her, but didn't necessarily want to interact with her. But you're right. Nothing with Rom. I don't think he gives two shits. Even if real Rom ended up fucking uh, knifed to a wall or whatever the fuck happened, he'd just be like, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> I guess so. I don't really know that guy. Uh, I felt like, by the way, that this did not come come over real clearly, that uh, Rom's double cross was a triple double cross. Yep. And that he was supposed to give that information up. As part of the plan. And, uh, yeah. So this is Cisco's plan, that, or maybe Smiley's, that got Rom killed. Yeah. Uh, no one else is in this, though I will award one extra point for Quark trying to pass the buck to Morn in the beginning because it was mildly amusing. Yeah, you can't take away Morn's voles, you know? Yeah. There's like his hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I gave it as many as two. Cool. Um. We agreed. This one's fucking sucked. Quick. I mean, quick hitters. Do it. Uh, I get it. This Kira is bisexual. Um, hey, Jennifer, Jennifer Cisco, mm. not a good actress, huh? Dude, I mean, we knew that from when she was in the one where he meets her on the beach. Sure. But she, she is, I mean, she's impossibly stiff and wooden in this. I really did not think she would be invited back after that. And when I saw her in this, I was like, oh, she still sucks. I feel like she must have been cast by the five white creators of this show looking at a bunch of headshots of black women until they found one that they all agreed was attractive. That's right. And then they were like, no, the one with the lighter skin and straight hair. We'll use her. And then they're like, no one even asked whether she could act. She could not. And they were like, "Uh, I don't know how that headshot got in there. She's actually a, a hand model. It doesn't make sense. It's not even that she can't. It's not even that she can't act. 
she can't do voiceover work either. I have worst actor candidate number two in my quick hitters as all voiceover scenes by Jennifer Sisko. Yeah. Anytime that we've they've clearly done a, an ADR, uh, and she's like got her like got her back turned, and they're clearly in the mines and shit, and they had to redub that shit. It sounds fucking horrible. Well, and it's like here's the thing to think about with this too: all actors universally agree that they do their best work acting opposite Avery Brooks, right? Like. Nog, the guy who, the kid who played Nog has written multiple times about how that scene that we saw where Cisco like shakes him by the shoulders and asks him what he wants to do with his life. Yeah. Is the, his best ever acting scene. All of Jennifer Cisco's acting scenes are against Avery Brooks, usually one-on-one and it's nothing. Yep. Maybe that's why he comes off as nothing. (laughs) Maybe he's not getting anything back. (laughs) Yeah. God, maybe, uh, other other quick hitters. Um, I know it's impossible to ask what sense it makes for characters to be here. But Tuvok? I know. He didn't he didn't live in the Badlands. <laughs> but he, he was, was there a, briefly a Maki spy, yeah. <laughs> in the prime universe. Yeah. It should be Chicote or Balana. No, no. It's in his trans dimensional DNA that he loves the Badlands. He's yeah, gonna again. end up there no matter what. I know it's impossible. Yeah. I know it's impossible to get into it. Uh, and um, I, because this is Deep Space Nine, I expect that nothing will come of the fact that he has now fucked both Dax and Kira when he's back on the station. I ain't Not gonna, even one awkward moment. He ain't going to tell anybody. Ain't no one ever going to know. Well, because they would immediately go, well, because they thought you were the other Cisco. <laughs> and then he has to go, uh... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I guess I did. I guess I was taking advantage, huh? <laughs> I was taking girls' advantages. Yep, that that's what the pool's station. for. That's what alternate universe is for, is taking the girls' advantages. Uh, I gave best actor to Quark. Uh, there were really no other candidates. Mm. And uh, worst actor to Rebel Bashir. I I mean, <laughs> you were very I don't think that guy offended. had a handle on what he was doing at all. No, that's not the, the cynic Alfredo that I know. <laughs> exactly. I got some. Yeah, let's oh, have them. As always, written in order. Oh, cool. Power play O'Brien is back. Oh, it's Mirror O'Brien? Who can tell the fucking difference? By the way, his uh, civ- civilian clothes are way too flashy to be our O'Brien. That's right. Yeah, what's up with like, Smiley, I by can't the way? Believe, I can't believe Cisco looked at him and asked if he was on vacation instead of going, who are you? <laughs> so I think Smiley thinks it's like super fancy in this universe, so he's like, I better wear my best fucking clothes. Where's my silver corduroy tuxedo? <laughs> they, won't, they won't believe I'm the real O'Brien without it. Uh, O'Brien for a minute has his back turned to the entire ops when he walks up to the transporter pad in the uh-huh. first scene, and nobody makes a single fucking move. Nah. They just watch. Nah, nobody does dick. <laughs> By the way, isn't Odo still there? I think he literally, he like makes a, uh, like a real vague, like, oh, can we talk alone thing so that Odo and Quark will leave. So I I think it's literally like the lift is going down and he pulls the fucking gun out. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but like, couldn't Odo have like whipped a snake arm up at him or something (laughs) and grabbed that thing? Well, lots of people had lots of chances. No one took a shot. Uh, I've worst. I mean, Cisco probably could have just, uh, given him one of those Starfleet standard palm heel strikes to the face and that would have been the end of that uh we will see during the uh brief 
fights with the Klingons and in the giant space war to come that Cisco is basically a f- fucking Steven Seagal out there. So I don't see why oh. he isn't breaking this dude's fucking face open. Well, he we we saw him box Q already, right? Yeah, that's right. Picard never hit him. Um, I had worst actor candidate worst actor candidate number one, Cisco, who calls everybody over with a cartoonish "Come here, hand wave." <laughs> He's like, ah. <laughs> I was like, um. Uh, in Star Trek, after grinding it out in a real nasty way, everybody is always one hundred percent clothed. Oh, yeah. Like, belts and fucking tucked-in shirts and all of that. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, Dax is in a sleeveless outfit. Yeah, like a tank top or something. Uh, and then, and then they fuck, and then it looks like, it's like exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, tucked into her pants. Like, she yeah. was very eager to get all of her clothes back on. Yep. I mean, I'm not complaining. I don't want realistic eroticism out of Star Trek. It just always seems very off. Like, yeah, we yeah. fucked. That's why I'm wearing my boots, because we fucked. I don't know. And so there's I'm I'm of two minds about this because like you, I feel kind of the same way. Like it's it, it is to the point where there's like two times in TNG when you see a character putting their boots on. And it's like, whoa. And it's like, oh shit. They so they definitely fucked. Troy fucked that young man. Yeah. He's oh, got his boots to, in his hand. Can't wait to hate watching that episode. <laughs> What is this? That's in that one. Come on, you'll love that it. Is the, that's the famous what is this episode. No, dude, Almost actually, certainly that'll be the name of that week's podcast. I was to, just today listening to an old uh, Brother Date. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a great pod. I was listening <laughs> to an old Brother Date, and they were talking about the episode where Kira looks into the orb, and she sees that her and Vedic Burial are doing it or whatever. And okay. the way it is depicted is they are both shirtless, but she's obviously covering her boobs, and, and he puts his bare chest on her bare back right. and, like, awkwardly hugs her. And I was like, God, it's so awful that they made them shirtless because it made it so awkward and weird what they were doing. <laughs> like, that's not what people do. Everything is so weird when Star Trek does sex stuff. So maybe like they if- should just avoid it. I mean, that's really my, like, if HBO just did Star Trek, if there was just an HBO Star Trek, mm-hmm. and in the first scene, you saw two people have actual unclothed yeah, just sex. doing it, yeah. Then you, would, then you would just be like, whenever sex came up in the rest of that series, you'd be like, yeah, it's part of the show. Yep. It's, it's weirder the way they do it. I agree. But um, the only thing I want to say is, at least we don't have to see the, uh, the normal uh, syndicated show thing, which is... Uh, bra sex with the sheets up over your waist. Yeah, so there's a little bit of grinding under the sheets, maybe. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I just... Uh, boots on, shirt tucked in. Um, yep. So we have Dax and we have Sex Dax. What do we call this Dax? Bangs Dax? Uh, I, I I don't know. I like her haircut a lot better. Okay. I like Mirror Dax's haircut a lot better. Than the tight ponytail or whatever she normally has going on? Yeah. How come nobody can hear O'Brien yelling, Hit him! That's what our Cisco would do! That's uh, a very good question. He's shouting! <laughs> it does seem like it would have given the game away. I know the other guy is ranting on in the background, but he's literally shouting at them. It is one of those Shakespeare-style whispers or whatever, <laughs> where two, two characters walk one step away and then have a conversation that no one else hears. It's really crazy. I'd be like, did he just say our Cisco? What the fuck's going on? Um, how about this sweet writing? The way I see it. 
freedom is a whole lot better than slavery. Yeah. Shit, really? Uh, that's a fucking hot take for sure. <laughs> I should have made that the take. Ten points. Uh, I already said worst actor candidate number two, all voiceover scenes by Jennifer Sisko. Best actor candidate. Sex Kira when she knows she's in deep shit for letting her access codes get away from her during the fuck sesh with Sisko, which is what I assumed happened. Uh, she gives on- a face like, that's, <laughs> uh, those, uh, you got lucky, that's not really, I don't know how you got those, and then she like, kind of puts her head to the side and is like, <laughs> like, fuck me. I mean, from a universe building, from a world building perspective, I like that explanation a lot better than yeah. the access codes are the same, meaning that... Yeah, Cisco, I think I must have assumed Cisco that they couldn't Kira be. both haven't changed them since they took command. That's right. Both of them. Well, he better remember that when he gets back to the station, change them, like, fucking right away. We know oh, fucking Ducat God. still has those things. Like, you oh, better he change will, them. But, wh- but what he'll do is he'll change them to the access codes he just changed Terok Nors to. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And so the next time these idiots beam over, they'll have them. Smiley will just beam over and start fucking around. Um... Cisco is always on a mission to get the Romulans to help him, even in alternate dimensions. He will come to uh, do it by the many way, times, and he's already done it in this prime universe. Uh, by the way, it's wild because the Romulans just tried to blow up the wormhole. <laughs> they tried pretty good. Like, they were one of those. Hey, Cisco, do you remember when you went in and said, I know your game? You yeah. guys are going to blow up the wormhole. Remember when they had that good, good plan that hinged entirely on no one in ops knowing how Romulans power their ships, and then you guys didn't? <laughs> you didn't know? Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> anyway, that's all I had. Yeah. He, do, he loves the Romulans. We'll get to see it a million more times. We've already seen it a bunch. Him and the... He's just got a thing. He's like um, the way Napoleon loved India so much and was always fantasizing about being the fucking Raj of fucking India or whatever. <sighs> well, well, we watched more, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 yeah. Third place last week was Enterprise. Oh, in the Enterprise slot. This week we <laughs> is the Enterprise slot. This week we watched Proving Ground. Yeah. Uh, the episode starts with a long recap. Yeah, they do that of like, every, like, ten episodes. It's weird. Of, like, uh, everything so far. Right. And then after that's over, we see uh, our old buddy Shran. Yeah. And he is uh, summoned to the bridge of an Andorian starship. And they're following somebody. It's heavily implied that it's the Enterprise, and it is the Enterprise. Okay, but good. they But we don't see it just yet. Because now we cut to the Council of Monsters. Finally. I mean, I know we saw Dolphin Boy in the recap already, but I'm very glad to see him in real time. Yeah. Uh, He's not there. What? He's not there. We cut to the Council of Monsters. We learn that a prototype will be tested in the next three. You don't remember? It starts out. There's like only half the Council's assembled. The others are late. But what about Dolphin Uh, Boy? It turns out that they're about ready to test this prototype. Um... In, in the next two or three days, and we're talking about as little as maybe a month before they go after Earth with this thing. How long does it take them to get to Earth? Cause it, yeah, I don't so, know. It sounds like about a month before they are. They think they are ready to have the weapon operational. Right, yeah. Could take some time to get there. Yeah. We don't really know. Uh, it took Enterprise, what, about six weeks to get to the Expanse? Something like that? 
Yeah, but... Uh, like, and then they've been fucking around in there, but presumably the Zindi are better at getting around inside the Expanse and they know where they're going. They are, and they got to Earth, like, totally undetected the first time, apparently, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing can cloak, I think, right? Oh, it's one of them cloaking weapons? Damn. Uh, didn't the shit uncloak before it attacked Earth? Cause, the, is that because it's got future tech from... prototype? Yeah, From whoever's controlling This is them. a huge waste of time. Sorry. <laughs> This uh, it's a fair, it's all good questions, but Sorry. it's a big waste of time. Apologize. Uh, Enterprise, meanwhile, has finally recover- recovered that uh, the trail of the altered uh, chemocyte that their old buddy Greylick or whatever set up for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's coming from a planet that's on the other side of a bunch of anomalies, so they have to like forge through this wall, etc., to to get there. And they get they take some damage going through. This is like the anomalies grow and merge in a new way. Enterprise yep. gets gets real messed up, but uh, some ship comes through and tractors them out. And uh, now Archer and Shran are back together again. Finally, thank God. Um, Shran comes on board and makes a little bit of like political hay about how he's here to help them. And where are the Vulcans? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the two ships together are going to work to fix Enterprise back up and also to try and take control of this weapon. Right. So uh, T-Pol warns Archer that in the past, the Andorians have ignored uh, treaties or aspects of treaties that were not to their advantage. Mm-hmm. But he trusts Shran for reasons. Well, you know, they've... Uh... They they had the monastery thing where they, he punched him a lot. Yeah. And then they had the the one where the Vulcans and Indorians were fighting on that planet where his lieutenant yeah. tried to his lieutenant tried to kill them. Yep, yeah, his lieutenant uh Kalar. Was, lieutenant was Blue, Susie, Susie Blackson. Blueberry Kalar, I call her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um were there other strands? I don't even remember. No, I think that's it. I think this is the third one, maybe. All right, well, that explains it. That's why he trusts him. Yep, they trust each other. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a dumb subplot where Reed, grumpy old Reed, can't Mm. get along with an Andorian tactical officer. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it. (laughs) They Good, uh, Good. please (laughs) don't. I mean, it's it's exactly what you would expect it to be. Yeah, you can't get along with her until... They grudgingly respect each other. Right, until he does, but except because it's Reed, you get the feeling the whole time that he's being a perv about it. Oh, yeah, he's very pervy about it, even, uh, but in a way that also doesn't 100% rule out that he might be gay. <laughs> well, he's definitely got a case of the not gays. We'd remember that he from when they went. He wants you to know that he's not, but yeah. he protests a little too much. Yep. Uh, okay, so there are four Zindi ships in this system. Uh, they figure out that it's a proving ground, a weapon proving ground. Oh, that's the name of the episode. It is, exactly. It's the ghost ship moment. Yep. Um... Before they can fire the weapon prototype, Shran jumps in there and, uh, like, bluffs that he's a member of the Andorian Mining Consortium. He's getting some detailed scans right. uh, for for Enterprise of the, of the weapon and of their ships. And the weapon overheats or something. It doesn't work perfectly, which Archer thinks is more sabotaged by Greylick, although he's not in this episode, so who knows? I think he thinks it's the tainted samples. Yeah, maybe it's the tainted chemocyte. I, I don't know. I, yeah, not clear. Whatever it is, it doesn't quite work. And uh, 
Archer's plan is to steal it. Right. So it's floating in space. It's very radioactive. No one's going to pick it up. Uh, Shran's ship is better shielded. He convinces Archer that his ship can pick up the the prototype. Mm -hmm. Uh, Archer wants to be on board when it happens in command of the mission. They argue about that for a minute. And then they go out there and pick up the prototype while uh, T-Pole fights off two of these Zindi ships in Enterprise. She does a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as they start to run from the system, head back towards that big wall of anomalies, Shran reveals that his orders are actually to steal the prototype. Yeah. They're going to use it. They want to use it in their their war against the Vulcans, either as an actual weapon or as a deterrent. It's Mm -hmm. not... It's not clear. The he says deterrent. It's not clear. He's yeah. Shran says deterrent. The other guy seems a little bit more mustache twirling. So who knows? And um, he puts Ar- Archer off the ship in an escape pod, and he knows once uh, his ship's faster. So once they get out of that damn anomaly cloud, it's it's over. Mm. But not only that, he thinks he thinks he's damaged Enterprise's sensors by having right. what's her name do it or whatever. Yeah, he had he had his tactical lady sabotage their sensors or whatever, so he's gonna get a clean break here. But it turns out Reed uh never really trusted her. Yeah. And he he detected the sabotage and he has a fully functioning uh Yeah, there's a scene where he goes up to her while she's looking at them, and he's like, what are you doing to my sensors? And she's like, oh, well, we did a lot of changes. I want to make sure the sensors weren't affected or whatever. So he knows where she was poking around when when she did her thing. Uh, So... They, uh, when they pick Archer up, Enterprise picks Archer up, and he calls Shran and tells him, well, I got more good news for you. Uh, all of that telemetry you gathered for us in your big bluff allowed us to figure out how to turn on the weapon, and mm. uh, hey, it's on in your hold, so yep. it's it's going to explode. We know that about it. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, the, like, they bluff, like, he, our, Shran thinks he's bluffing, etc. He ends up turning it on, so we might as well skip right to that. Hmm. Uh, Shran ejects the weapon, but the explosion damage, uh, damages the ship because it's nearby. Archer offers him to help, but Shran declines and, and leaves. Um, but I guess he feels bad about the whole thing because on his way out, he sends a secret coded message to Enterprise with uh, even more detailed scans of the prototype. And Archer is going to send those on to Starfleet Command. Yeah, dude, he may have been working a covert mission, but he was really Archer's buddy all along because they buddies. It's not important why. Yep. So, Matt, what's this one about? Alliances can be built on more than just political expedience. In this case, a grudging respect and cultural understanding links Shran and Archer again and again throughout the cosmos. Star Trek uh, often shows a, like allies who don't seem to share any common respect or understanding for one another. Mm-hmm. Like the Klingons in TNG think Starfleet sucks. The Romulans and yeah. Klingons in DS9 hate each other the whole time. When they're there allies. are a lot of uh, treaty allies, right? Where yeah. it doesn't make it doesn't seem to make any sense that they'd be allied. But I mean, know. even in Enterprise, the Vulcans and humans fucking hate each other's guts. These non-allies, right? I mean, the humanity has made itself sort of in. Uh, uh, what's the word unaligned or non-aligned in these uh disputes between the vulcans and the andorians these non-allies yeah, I assume only because the vulcans haven't asked for help at all right 
but they're actually much more fun to see together because although their missions run counter to one another's in many cases, they manage to maintain that respect and affection between these uh, two characters. Anyway, uh, my take in general was a six. Uh, my version of the take for this episode is even allies can have their own agendas. Ah, so we were, we, I don't consider them allies, but you do. I think Archer does. Okay. And that's where, where I'm going for here. Or I guess I do Uh, from my take, but they're not, they're not officially allies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul warns Archer that Andorians have repeatedly put their own interests above the sanctity of treaties. And that's what happens here. Right. Mm hmm. It isn't personal, and we see Shran argue against it, but he does it anyway. Uh, it's not worth a ton of points to me. I mean, it's four, but it's kind of a truism, and I don't know what we what we can do about this idea. Right. Like I just keep your eyes open, I guess, but or just don't uh, don't have your don't have your hopes so high. Yeah, about I guess your good, about your good I, good. I buddies. don't love don't get your hopes up as a as a message, but I <laughs> yeah. guess that's kind of what's going on with my take. Uh, yet- I gave it a. F- and yet that's what the oakland days taught me when i was young and i have applied it to every part of my life yes they tried to lie to you with that song you gotta have hope gotta have hope the song that we cannot track down i've tried so many times on the internet i've never been able to track it down was it just invented Uh, for that ad what's happening i'll just figure out how to play it on a guitar it's not it's probably two chords um well what about uh execution uh execution uh, there's a couple of uh, clever tricks. There's a shot where we see Archer answer the hail from behind, but we see Shran's antenna peek up over his head. Yes, that was an interesting like his shot. His head is blocking Shran's face. I like that shot. Uh, we're starting to get hints that the Zindi arc might be drawing to a close here. Like time's running out. I mean, th- I guess this prototype didn't work and then was stolen and blown up, and that's got to be a little bit of a setback. But it's right. Like, we're sort of running the clock out on this one. But I I felt like the sudden appearance of Shran and his ship, the Kumari, I guess. Hmm. They make the Expanse feel smaller and Enterprise a little bit less isolated. Yeah, and that scene where he first shows up, they talk about how they've been chasing him for weeks. But you're right that it doesn't necessarily help us. It doesn't because we don't see, like, we haven't seen over the course of the last 10 episodes that Shran is on his trail. Right. So it still makes it feel like, oh, all of a sudden we're back in the familiar part of the universe and it undercuts some of the tone of this arc. Hmm. And then the plot with Reed and the Andorian Talus um, was more than a little bit cliche. Yeah. But I think it was saved somewhat because uh, they got lucky with the guest of the week and Talus could act a little bit. Right. So uh, on the whole, I gave it five for execution. Well, they certainly didn't get lucky with Reed. That guy cannot act a little bit. No. It's a repeating theme in these Star Trek series that some of the main actors, not so very good, and then they get a guest who acts way better than them. Um, there was some continuity from that data wipe last time. I didn't necessarily expect that. I would not have been surprised if they just never talked about just it again. Just didn't mention it at all and everything was back to normal. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, they run into a hopeless situation with the anomalies for once, just in time for Shran to save them. So it was a weird coincidence that they looked like, well, I guess we've had it. We're not going to be able to get out of this one. Um, but overall, I thought the episode wasn't so bad. I thought it was decently paced. It showed a complex relationship between two captains with divergent missions. I thought it fit in pretty nicely with the season-long Expanse plot just because we got a lot of 
payoff on the weapon and everything that's going on with that. We actually have connected again with that plot. You know, they've been doing this shit with the weird. Oh yeah. Religious alien. After that, we did a bunch of time travel. Yeah. The time travel to Detroit and just like, we've done a lot of side adventures that are um, just the ultimate example of filler. When you're doing this dire fucking future of earth plot. Um, I thought this was a totally acceptable episode. I gave it a seven. Oh. I mean, we're not that far apart. I'm a couple of points below you so far in each category on the right uh, on the top end. Um, how did you feel about world building? Let's see if the trend continues. The Andorian ship has a very clean, minimalist bridge design. We get to see it a few times. Yeah, they seem ahead. Yes, of of Earth. That's a big part of this episode. All the various ways the Andorians have faster ships they survive better in the expanse they have better sensors which comes into play a few times so they're they're definitely significantly ahead um claim they're on a mission to help earth too but that's obviously that turns out to be fake uh torpedoes can be stored in safe mode um sure yeah that makes sense vulcans and andorians got along well at first but the vulcan story is that these blue boys don't honor their agreements um we know how the Vulcans like to craft um, the stories about the galaxy to suit their own interests, so who knows? Yeah, they are not uh, what you would call 100% trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archer believes Greylick is the reason the prototype weapon fails, which would be more continuity, but there's no proof that that is what happened at all. Um, I could see a three, but I gave it a four. Uh, I also gave it a four. Um, they've again partially recovered the database Andorian ship uh, capabilities more history of the Andorian and Vulcan conflict and some continuity with Gre- so same exact points really mm-hmm. um, characterization yeah Archer somehow comes off as not having trusted Shran at the end and that makes me think that he learned nothing this week <laughs> so no, that's it- not so good that's like one lesson available to him this week and it seems like uh, and I knew it all along <laughs> that's right um t-paul t- either doesn't have strong opinions about the andorians or she's decided it's not worth engaging with archer yeah because she does a brief warning at the top and then she just like zips out of the episode yeah it's basically right uh reed learns a bad lesson about paranoia but at least he didn't go to bed with talus uh, trip would have trip would have for sure trip definitely would have yeah but i did again i the whole i'll get into it and um and trip seems to have softened on his need for revenge like we see he has we have a moment with shran and it seems like it may even be the first time that trip is realizing that revenge isn't really what he wants Hmm. so all of that could have been better but we do get a big lift from shran in this episode yeah I gave it as many as six. Yeah, I have a, my line at the end is Shran saves the score here. The humans aren't amazing in this one. Um, Archer doesn't seem very happy to see his old buddy Blue, his old blue buddy Shran in the beginning. At times, Archer's acting in this seemed like he was playing evil alternate Archer or something. <laughs> like when he yelled at Reed to accept the Andorian security officer's help. Don't invoke evil alternate Archer. I have a feeling he's coming. <laughs> um, he's also like a prideful buffoon. He seems really hurt by Shran's betrayal 
as well. Um, he's willing to destroy Shran's ship to avoid letting them keep the weapon, but um, does offer his help after that. Uh, Reed is easily baited. Yeah. That lady comes in and is like, oh, these weapons seem pretty obsolete, and he's like, fuck you. Oh, yeah, she plays him like a fiddle, for sure. And because we already know he's a perv, I can't see this developing bond with uh, Talus as anything but gross. Just, he looks like he's eye-fucking her the entire time. Uh, so, Tucker, you said it seemed like his need for revenge had lessened. I just thought he seemed, like, checked out. Like, he seems... I mean, he, he seemed sad, for sure. He seemed, like, really chill about this entire adventure. He seemed more worried about T-Pole avoiding him. Which was more continuity. Yeah. That she has not been paying enough attention to him. That is true. There was a scene where she, he, he, like, he wants to advance some shit. Mm-hmm. And she's like, we're, we have three... Uh, we're fucking three times a week bro we have three nude sessions a week what what's your issue yeah uh shran is so fucking excited to come help archer because he doesn't like unpaid debts he says we learn he's on a mission but i think he really does love to work with archer though he doesn't yeah he's getting into it although he he does keep like he keeps slipping and calling them pink skins (laughs) which reveals that he's still got some growing up to do he does. Well, I think we uh, are supposed to believe that about all the Andorians, that they're so um, emotional. Yeah, well, that's, again, we've seen them exactly one time. Well, that's not true. We saw them twice prior to this show. They had uh, one role where they were bad guys, but that was because one of them was a spy. <laughs> right. And when, uh, and by the way, great performance out of that guy. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then we saw Lol eventually decided not to be one. <laughs> That's right. She briefly considered it. But, you know, Troy didn't like hey, it. So. Hey, they made the short list, for sure. But Troy, Troy fucking negged the shit out of it and said no one's going to want to be around her. Um, Do you have any with bad bangs? Troy said loudly. <laughs> could, you, could she be short? <laughs> um, he doesn't... Uh, Shran doesn't seem very good at improvisation. Like... What does he call the mineral that they're trying to mine? Archerite or something? Archerite. As he looks over to Archer off screen. (laughs) They know who Archer is. And and they do know who they know who Archer is. And also, no one goes, who are you looking at? (laughs) It's just, it's a wildly stupid thing to say. He's not in one of those um, Kazago white rooms. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, the Cone of Silence or whatever. Yeah. Um... Anyway, you could tell he really likes Archer because his antennae get real sad and slouchy when Archer gets mad at him. Hey, uh, the antenna puppeteering mm. in uh, in this show is very good. It's uh, well, it's the best it's ever been for sure. They, I mean, they do a very good job of putting emotions into those little antennas. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, even after Archer tries to blow up his ship, he secretly transmits the sensor data on the weapon to Archer. Shran saves the score. For me, it was as much as a four. All right. Do you have some quick hitters? Just a few. Uh, again, we got a full-on recap before this one started. I guess we've had too many side adventures lately, and they don't trust us to remember anything. Or maybe they couldn't write a full 42 minutes of TV. T-Pole said the name of the episode. <laughs> yeah. That's that. That's all I had. I mean, I just have a couple, too. Um, what the fuck does Star Trek writers think ale is? <laughs> Uh, blue Kool-Aid, apparently. It's always a colorful, flat liquid you drink about four ounces of <laughs> in this right. universe. 
Everything that we see that's an ale. Romulan ale, Andorian ale, fucking, yeah. uh, that's probably more. I'm sure that there are more. Uh, and then happy 168th birthday, Joanne. I don't know if you kept listening to this show. I knew you were going, I know you were going to, but this episode takes place on your 168th birthday. Oh, well, there you go. So put that in the timeline. Can you go on with the memory beta or memory? I should. Memory alpha? I, I don't know. Well, memory alpha for sure. She's real. She's not fictional. So, yeah. Um, I give best actor to Shran and, uh, for worst actor, one of the arboreal Zindi in the council seemed to really be struggling with his appliance. <laughs> he really was not used to working inside a thick mask like that. He was having a hard time with it. Oh, well. Uh, hey, it's Mayweather didn't have any lines, so. Oh, but he's such a nice boy. This guy gets in. Yeah. In uh, second place last week. Was uh, TOS Mm. This week we watched The Tholian Web Tell us about this episode (laughs) That was not nearly high enough to be uh or whatever his name is i've lost the upper part of my range i don't have it anymore yeah that's tough uh enterprise is searching for their lost sister ship the defiant Mm. and they enter a region of space that is breaking up in some not specific way and there's a power drain uh as part of being in this region of space okay they see the defiant ahead of them but it doesn't register on their sensors, no mass, no energy. So Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Chekhov put on spacesuits and beam over. Uh, the best spacesuits anyone's ever seen. Uh, they're not, so they're not only are they super good, but they have cheap plastic name tags on them. <laughs> right up by the helmet, so you can tell who's who. To me, they look like fun robots or something. Yeah. Um, uh, the crew are dead. And it's uh, another one of those, they all killed each other's. Great. One of those great, everyone it's went crazy skis. and killed each other. The space madness. Mm-hmm. There are no surviving mutineers aboard. Uh, so crew uh, Kirk sends the crew to various parts of the ship to investigate and uh, tells Scotty to stay close to the drifting ship. Um, Chekhov starts to feel dizzy and out of it because Chekhov always goes first. Right. And... Um, and when McCoy discovers that he can't touch some objects, they're kind of like phasing in and out. Uh, and Enterprise also sees the Defiant phasing in and out. Mm-hmm. They uh, attempt to beam back. But the transporter frequencies are not working <laughs> yeah. in a way that means Scotty can only beam three of the four back. Yep. You get this it. is not well explained. You get it. You get no. Don't worry about it. We all get it. And it, frankly, it seems like a very weird failure mode. <laughs> right. We can still get three of you. Yep. So yeah, uh, I had to reboot course... the transporter pad in safe mode so I could only do three at a time. <laughs> right. Hey, my license expired. I can only beam three of you <laughs> That's out. That's right. So and they have we'll to pay nine ninety five to get I a new license. Yeah, exactly. A fourth we're person. Not, we're not even close enough to hit the license server, so I can't do anything about this till we get out of the broken space. <laughs> uh, of course, Kirk is going to stay behind. So the other three beam back, and of course, they immediately attempt to beam Kirk back. 
but the ship fades out completely oh. during the attempt, and they can't get him. Man, that uh, three-person limit really mattered. That was important. Yeah. It's almost like it didn't come up for nothing. <laughs> um, Spock and the computer have worked out what's going on, I guess, and because he's got a real handle on this, and he knows that the ship will return in two hours, mm-hmm. and they'll grab, grab old Kirk then. But Scotty's a little worried because the drain is still going on, and he thinks Enterprise's systems could potentially fail before then. Right. And uh, Spock also tells everybody that they cannot use any energy because energy use destabilizes this part of space. Okay. So they've got to sit there and wait and not do anything. But at this point, Chekhov goes crazy. So the crew is not just the ship, but the crew is being affected by hanging out here. And to make matters worse, uh, an alien vessel suddenly approaches. And here's Commander Luskine of the Tholian Assembly. Mm -hmm. And he is a crystal with eyes and a weird high-pitched voice. (laughs) Yes. And he he tells them, you're in our space. Get out of our space. And Mm -hmm. Spock tells him, we got to listen. We got to stay here for two hours to get our captain back. You can hang out, too. Everything's cool. Spock and really misplays this. He says, uh, in an hour and 53 minutes, we'll get our crewmen or whatever. And he's like, we will give you exactly one hour and 53 minutes. And he's like, right. Spock should have been like, uh, we're gonna, can I bump that up? We're going to need two hours and 15 minutes. He doesn't <laughs> sandbag it at all, no. for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, Luskin's, I mean, he's reasonably cool about it. He's like, okay, fine. Uh, and so... They're, now they're both sitting there nose to nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, more crew start going crazy, but it doesn't matter. The big thing is the Defiant does not appear on time. Yep. And Spock believes that that's because the Tholian ship showing up disturbed space. Mm. But it doesn't matter what it is because the Tholians are pissed off about it and they start shooting Enterprise for deceiving them. <laughs> they they he tried to tell him. That guy told him, like, there's one thing that we do not tolerate and it's deceit, so don't do it. Yep. yep. Uh, Enterprise fires back and disables the Tholian ship, but they're nearly crippled themselves. They're running out of power. Their systems are fucked up and they frankly are in danger of drifting into the rift and going wherever Defiant went. Yeah. And um, also, it, the people are going crazy by be, just because of being in that region of space. There's no, it's not a disease that's being passed around. So the longer they stay there, the worse it's going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, McCoy's mad. He thinks Spock should have given up on Kirk and taken Enterprise to safety. Right. And now another Tholian ship shows up. And the two of them dock butt to butt. And they start <laughs> weaving an energy web in space around the Enterprise. Yeah. I don't know what this is supposed to do, frankly. It's going to take them a long time to complete, and Enterprise can leave up until the moment it's completed. <laughs> it seems like it, yep. And yes, it's going to then, trap them there once it's complete. They, they won't be I able couldn't to tell through. if it was a weapon or just a cage, right? Yeah. Like, what is it? Mm. But that's happening, so that's the ticking clock. I guess it's, there's like five clocks on this one. Um, yeah, I talk a lot about that. Yeah, Spock holds a little service for Captain Kirk. Declares him dead, basically. And then he and McCoy go to Kirk's quarters to view his video will. Mm-hmm. Like it's an episode of Murder, she wrote. Uh-huh. Uh, and Kirk's message tape tells him, and they're just arguing the whole time. And Kirk's message tape tells him to get it together for the sake of the crew. So they do. Yep. Meanwhile, 
Uhura is putting on her night jewelry. Yeah, obviously. She's got to go to sleep, bro. When she sees Kirk in her mirror. I can't sleep without all of my various medallions and necklaces and... What are those things? Yeah. Bracelets? Couldn't think of a yeah. word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to wear a lot of gold to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's good good for your ions. I saw that on one of those infomercials. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. I mean, they say copper, but that's because it's so cheap. But, like, gold Gold's has better. most of the same electronic properties as copper. You, you probably would want gold. Right. If you could afford it. Um. So she goes to tell Spock. She doesn't call Spock on a, one of the comm panels or anything. <laughs> She goes running through the corridor, shouting Mr. Spock, Mr. Spock, or whatever. Runs right into McCoy's arms. And because no one has learned anything in Star Trek, Hmm. he's like, oh, well, that's the space madness. It it presents as totally different from all of... This specific delusion and not weird anger and paranoia and attacking people. Yes, it presents different from all the other cases we've seen, but it's clearly the space madness. Uh, And then Kirk appears again in engineering... While Scotty's talking to the bridge, still nobody believes it's real. Yeah. And in fact, <laughs> they decide that it is a manifestation of the crew's lack of confidence in Spock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why they're seeing Captain Kirk now, because yeah. they wish Spock wasn't the captain. Look, we see what happens when Spock's in charge. We saw it on the Gal- Galileo 7. Within seconds, it is a full mutiny. That's true. <laughs> um... But then Kirk appears on the bridge in front of Scotty, Spock, and McCoy all at once. So now they've got no choice but to believe. They uh, use that to help figure out when the next interphase will be in about 20 minutes. And McCoy has also worked out a drug that can protect people from the effects of this space. Mm-hmm. It's a derivative of a Klingon nerve agent. And when mixed with alcohol, it goes down mighty smooth or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um... Enterprise does something during the next interphase that causes them to be thrown to parsecs. Yep. Ordinarily, I would say what, but I don't know what. Honestly, I don't know either. I thought it was another time that I just zoned out. Uh, no, I went back and watched it again, and I just decided I could not. Couldn't I could out not what sift through memory beta to figure out <laughs> what it would have been. Something happens. They're thrown two parsecs away. And because Kirk was caught in their... He's been in their transporter beam this whole time in some way. Mm. He's dragged along with them on like a little tiny delay. Like it takes about 40 seconds for him to show up in front of them again, right? Right. Um, but when he does, they, they beam him on in and pump him full of triox. Because by the way, he's almost out of oxygen at this point. One like of the many ticking six clocks. hours in the suit. Another ticking clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Spock and McCoy pretend that they never saw his last orders and they just got along fine because they're professionals. Mm. No one tells Kirk about the Tholians at all and they fuck off. Another insane lie by Spock, the liar. Yep. Spock, the big, big liar. Mm-hmm. Matthew, mm. this episode about. Okay, it's something about McCoy and Spock, but what? I mean, all the music swelled as Kirk gave his last orders on tape and told them that they'll need to use Spock's intellect to save the ship and that he'd have to use intuition and depend on the doctor, too. I guess something like, everybody brings something to the table, am I right? You got, you got, you got a, the crew you, The crew has a bunch of diverse skills, and you gotta use everybody. <sighs> I had a really hard time. Yeah. I don't know if you could tell. Yeah, that that is not the... No one said what you said, for sure. Spock, it didn't come right out of Chakotay's mouth. Spock gotta play nice with McCoy and vice versa, and Scotty gotta fix the ship, and Uhura can't do anything because she's a woman and they'll lock her up. 
They'll chain <laughs> her to a hysterical. bed. Yep. Even though she's extremely calm and feels really bad about the whole situation. Yep. Um, it was a two for me because I didn't know I couldn't put it into a statement. I didn't even know what it, what they were exactly trying to say about Spock and McCoy and what was happening there. What about oh, you? Boy. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, like, first of all, let's just get this out of the way. Obviously, they were just doing a ghost story in space. Yes. Enterprise is becalmed. Yep. <laughs> There's a dead ship of mutineers, Captain Kirk's ghost. Plus, the, the Defiant is the color of those uh, glow-in-the-dark toys. Yes, uh, it so. is glow-in-the-dark green. Yeah. Um, so, so yes. I mean, that's, that's obviously what they were. That's the intentional thing that they were doing. Mm-hmm. However, this is one of a series of what does it take to command episodes. Oh, And yeah. this one is specifically you need a balance between logic and intuition to command a ship, okay. which is something that I think Jordy probably just tells data. Yes. And it doesn't have, it's not a whole episode. They it just is. talk about it for a minute. We've seen it. Jordy told them all about it. Sometimes you have to use your gut too. And the one with, um, uh, the defector. Jerock. Yeah. 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 Good episode. Yeah. Um, this is not a new idea, even for star Trek, but they do one thing better in this one, which is, so one thing that I don't love in Star Trek is they do a lot of uh, a sp- uh, like a special man or a kind of a Superman. Like not everyone can command a starship. You yeah. have to have you have to be like a superior breed of man to do this. That's why it's like even it's like the coolest thing you can ever do. It's way better than being a dumb old Commodore. Right. So. It, when you get advice about like, oh, you need to also have a brutal animal inside you to command <laughs> or something like that, yep. it doesn't tell you like, what do you do if you don't have that? Yeah, right. Uh, but in this one, he very specifically gives the instruction to rely on the people around you. Like, you can augment whatever natural skills you have by utilizing your social relationships. That's yeah. the thing that's better in this episode than in most of these. The uh, other ones will just say, if you don't got it, you don't man. got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So I gave this a six. Hey, you know, what's weird is I had all of those words in that thing that I said, but I couldn't figure out what it was saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's tough. Uh, I, again, because what they were saying was the, oh, the ghost ship, Mary Celeste or whatever. Right. But in space, question mark? Mm-hmm. Plus Tholians. Yeah, plus Tholians. So let's swing into execution. Okay, what'd you give it? The first time the Tholians appear, it's to disrupt the initial rescue attempt. So that all makes sense. Hmm. But the entire titular device of the Tholian web yeah, the episode makes, is makes fucking no sense at all. Named after it. It's named the Tholian web and the th- it doesn't... Spock could leave at any time if he were willing to give up on Kirk. Yeah. And... We don't need the Tholian web because Spock has to sit there to not use energy if he's going to save Kirk. Yep. So the Tholian web literally does nothing. Plus, Kirk it's has just that a- oxygen issue. That's the other ticking clock. Right. So there's, there's, it just, it's, it had, it bears no, it has no bearing on the plot at all. It's, I'm not gonna um, lie, dude. I all I remembered about this episode was that it was called the Tholian web, and that crystal guy was gonna be there, and I thought this is gonna be a romp about hostile aliens in space, and like yep. it is not anything to do with the Tholians. No, it's not. So, I mean, it's a, honestly, it's a, a fun little effect. Yeah. 
it's fun bad uh tos uh sci-fi mm-hmm. which they've brought up a little bit on the remastered but they've kept it looking very much like the original frankly just a better version of the original we talked about uh, some of the things they kept in this episode offline that were yeah, that's true. very enjoyable um it just it's is it a weapon is it a tractor net they call it at one point yeah I have no idea what Enterprise did that got them thrown eight light years in space, so I don't even know how they got out of the Tholian web. Yep. Uh, I'm a little sick of space madness. Yeah. And I also think McCoy in this episode is arguing for things he would have argued against in any other episode. Yeah, earlier when you said, I guess he's mad that he didn't, I guess he's mad that he didn't take the ship. And is trying to save Kirk when we know one hundred percent of the Galileo Seven. We know one hundred percent that if he had decided to take the ship, he would have been like, "Kirk's still out there, damn it! What do you hate, your friend? You heartless Vulcan monster! <laughs> you devil! Human beings don't leave each other to die in the vacuum of space. Or but you're whatever, not right? human, and you got no heart. That's and it what goes it completely been like. unremarked upon. Yep. Like that would it would be fine if Spock and McCoy noticed that they were playing different positions and had to think about what that meant. Like why Spock is feels differently. Like is Spock being emotionally affected by his obvious feelings for Captain Kirk? Or is McCoy just a contrarian motherfucker? Does McCoy argue for the point of, uh, for no other reason than to argue, but they, it goes completely unremarked upon. So it's just, it just seems inconsistent. Like the writers forgot who the characters were. So, uh, although I gave it a lot of points for premise, I was I could only find my way to giving it three for execution, and frankly, that three feels generous. Mm. I could see a two. Well, the two is what I gave it. Um, I see. Here's what I got: the ticking clock isn't all the weird phasing in space, and it's not it's not the space madness that's effect that's caused by the part of space, and it's also not the Tholian web. No, it's the Kirk's oxygen is going to run out, which is so weak. It is. It is quite weak. It's like just pick one also, and make the that way, the they episode. They did not do a. They did not do a good job of establishing that there was no air on the Defiant. No, they beam in on their spacesuits, but they don't talk about why. They just beam or in where the where the Defiant has gone. By yep. the way, yeah. Uh, I don't know how we're supposed to keep track of all the threats in this episode. Um, it's it's just a lot. There's just a lot happening for no reason. And then I said, for for real though, what are we supposed to do with McCoy? <laughs> He's an insane weirdo and not a good friend, and I'm just I'm not just gonna let it go and forget about it. He accused Spock in this episode of killing Kirk so he could have command and glory. That is correct. I mean that's such well, a that's wild a literal accusation he made, but it also doesn't make sense because then clearly Spock should have just left. Yeah. It's so wild. And then it's like he does this shit all the time. He's always on Spock in a weird, irrational way. I'm out on McCoy. I'm just out on him. Like, he's a bad uh, McCoy friend. McCoy sucks. He's into young women in a way I don't like. Yeah. And he tells them uh, he's not going to peek while they're changing into the outfit he makes them wear. And then he does right. peek. He for sure peeks. And uh, I'm just, I'm totally out on him. We're not friends. I don't, I don't fuck with that guy anymore. I'm out on McCoy. He's a space racist for sure, and that always makes you wonder if he's also a normal racist. Of course, he's from Georgia. He is. He's from Georgia, and when he gets drunk, there's a real old boy in there. Yeah, dude, he's hurt like, for sure. I haven't seen him call one of the black extras boy, but <laughs> I believe he could. He calls Data Boy. Yeah, that's that's in, the proof. In Encounter at Farpoint. <laughs> the proof is when he calls Data Boy. Yeah. 
Um, I know he's 137 in that episode. Yeah, so what? But I, I, that just, I think that just means that the filter is gone. I don't think people get more racist. I yeah. think they are less concerned about being perceived that's as racist. That's what I was going to say. If I grow to be 137, which I assume I will, I'm not suddenly going to be walking around calling everyone boy or whatever. That would be yeah. wild. Well, also, I mean, I guess if you if you spend the next 70 years in Nashville, who knows what you might pick up. <laughs> it's true. It could be any number of terrible things. Uh, anyway, there was a lot going on. I didn't know what was happening most of the time. Again, I thought I had zoned out and missed what happened to get them out of danger, but maybe nothing did. Nah, I promise you did not. It was badly explained. And then the characterization is so wild in this one that for me, it's just the two. You know what? You talked me down. <laughs> I mean, the I two is two is better. Two is a better score for the execution of this episode. I do that all the time when I'm like, it's a three, but I can see a two. And then if you give it a two, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. That's a two. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Make it a two. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel they did with world building? There's the starship Defiant, lost in space. Uh, again, love those spacesuits. I want one of those spacesuits. I want. Hey, Starfleet's really taken a hit on these um, constitutions, right? How many did they make? Because they lose them a lot. We've we've seen a few of them go down. Uh, it doesn't seem like when Enterprise is being decommissioned in the movies, it doesn't seem reasonable to do so. Yeah. But on the other hand, if they've lost most of their Constitution fleet, they're probably low on spares. And if they're bringing the Excelsior up, I could see decommissioning the rest of the Constitutions just to have class similarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Save that for the movie pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Spock says there is absolutely no record of a mutiny on a starship before. He himself has mutinied. I was going to say, one, pretty sure we had a whole court martial about it, but um, does that mean, did he just mean Starfleet starships? Because I think it's odd that there's never been a mutiny on any starship anywhere. Yeah, that seems wild. I cannot believe that. The Andorians have never had a mutiny? Yeah, they're so emotional. What about those pig guys? What those are those weird little Tellarites of Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Glad we went to the same direction on that one. Um, uh, the Tholian Assembly with their crazy web technology that does something. Um, have we seen this big room before where he gives the eulogy? Yeah, uh, we've had a wedding in there. Oh, that's where the wedding was. Okay. Yeah. Um, Interspace and whatever that I, is. I assume, does. by the way, it's the same room as the ice cream room, just redressed, but I don't know. No, for dude, sure. that is a dedicated ice cream room. It's used only for ice cream. It's a waste of a set. No wonder this show was in budget trouble. You plug the ice cream tape in to figure out which ice cream you want to get. That's how it works. Don't worry. She's got them all. <laughs> uh, interspace and whatever that is and does. Um. A three I could see it too. I had it as a three I could see it too. Uh well, you're not gonna get it by the means that you talked about before okay. because I gave it a four. Whoa! What 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 did you see that I didn't see? Uh spacesuits with built in communicators. Okay. Like all of that spacesuit technology is new. That spacesuit's so good. It's got like it's got a like a pinky purple kind of looking bar going up one side. It's very it's very fun. It's looking. got like a gold one and a blue one, and the helmets look they're so square and great. I just love and them. very tall, very yeah. tall. They're like the uh, size of a Korean gentleman's hat from like the olden times. Yeah, they look like either an old electric shaver, <laughs> yeah, or 
a big microphone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they got their they have big mic mesh. Mesh instead. They didn't want to put plexiglass in them or whatever. They did mesh, which probably worked better for the lighting. They're so good. I told Marjan to abandon whatever Halloween idea she has for this year and just focus oh, yeah, just, on getting just that get made. them suits. I get want those, those suits done. Fucking spacesuits, and that's what I'm gonna do for every Halloween forever. That's a good one. Uh, the Tholian web, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, interface. Sure. Um, transporter beams have some kind of tractor beam effect. <laughs> That's true. We do. Yep, we did learn that in the like, end there. I don't quite understand it, but there's that. The Klingons use nerve gas. Yeah. Uh, and then this uh, return of triox compounds, which we saw in uh, Amok Time. You know, before they switched to the on wound. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I gave it four. Okay. I thought we saw some shit. <clears throat> what also, about... it was the it was the only good thing about this episode, frankly. Well, I, that maybe that gives away your general range here on characterization. Uh, okay. In the Galileo Seven, McCoy was livid with Spock for not being sentimental. Mm. In this one, Spock will risk the whole ship to save Kirk. McCoy thinks they should cut and run. I can't believe McCoy thinks Spock wants Kirk's command. It's so crazy. Like, uh, Scotty, real problem drinker. Oh, yeah. He he disappears with the rest of that nerve gas alcohol before they're out of trouble. Yeah. And And that's it for him. And uh, not only that, we've seen him have some real situations in the past where maybe he killed a lady, maybe he didn't. (laughs) Um... Like, I would have, I would for sure have that guy off the sauce. I wouldn't also, laugh and encourage how him. Much, how much of that did McCoy make? Like, he just took the rest of that and ran. Is there a whole deck of crazy people because that was supposed to be 20 more shots? <laughs> Chekhov once again proves to be the bridge crew's weak link. Uh-huh. Uh huh. When we see Kirk in a mirror or floating or whatever, he just appears to be screaming in the void. He's doing some real Shatner miming. Yeah, so... But he doesn't appear to... I don't know if he... We presume he can see them also. Yeah. But he doesn't appear to be communicating in any intentional way. So even he doesn't come out looking heroic in his few minutes. No. This episode. No, and in the end uh, he just smiles a lot like a like a weirdo. Right. I gave it a three. I oh, was... Also, he's a real egomaniac. He assumes... That Kirk, uh, that uh, McCoy and Spock needed his good, good video advice mm-hmm. to get him out of this scenario. And just because he was right, that doesn't mean he's not an egomaniac. He's still an egomaniac yeah, about it. I agree. And you know what? Maybe they were right to lie to him. Let's <laughs> keep this under control. <laughs> yeah, I can't fucking let it go to his head any more than it already has. Um, dude, this Amazon delivery driver has called me like four times in the last few minutes. He is desperate to get me to pick up. Um, <sighs> Captain Scotty again. When they all go over to the uh, the other ship. Um, Captain Scotty, smart enough to say not too close, but not smart enough to know why he should be scared of getting too close. <laughs> so you can tell. He's like, I don't think we should get too close, but I don't really know why. I'm just, I don't know about this weird anomaly. Um, no surprise, the weak-minded Chekhov is the first to get squirrely. I should probably give him points for that, but I won't. That it's is, not a good character trait. It's, it's, it's they, very and consistent. And they never address it. Hey, uh, is that Chekhov's real screaming voice, or is he putting on a character? Because he's got the wildest little boy scream, and he uses it the whole episode. 
Does Bester ever scream? Nah, he doesn't. He's too smug. Okay. He's got. I mean, uh, Walter Koenig is not a big man, and he's got a little bit of a high pitched voice, mm-hmm. especially in emotional moments. Yeah. Um, but it's a. This is a very good question. He screams is the he, whole episode. Is that a? Is that a put on? Yeah. Uh, Nurse Chapel initially dropped the ball in this scene in Sick Bay where the guy goes crazy. She just stands there and watches for a while, but uh, does recover and saves McCoy from the crazy guy. Yeah. Spock is kind of illogical here. He just tells the doctor he'll figure out what's happening. Like, you go figure out what's happening before shit gets too bad. Like, I mean, this he ailment... Fi- he eventually figured out that the uh, the monument on the Indian planet was musical notes, so he's probably <laughs> well, I'm just a saying, little overconfident because of that. Well, he tells the doctor, he goes, don't worry, you'll figure this out. You'll figure this out before anyone else goes crazy or before it gets too bad. Like, this ailment that may be a virus or may be an effect of this weird space, who knows? Yeah, I'm sure he'll knock it out in 20 minutes. Now, yeah. again, just because he does he, doesn't mean Spock does, was right. You're right. You're right. Spock should learn a lesson from this. You can't just whip up an antidote. Yeah. Or substitute, depending. Uh, McCoy is crazed with Spock, as always, and not because of the crazy-making space. He's a wild person who accuses Spock of killing Kirk to get the ship's command. That's not frenemy stuff. That's, like, insane. That's unhinged. Agreed. Uh, Kirk predicts a free-for-all for for the ship's command after his passing. He should have staffed the ship better, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, if he has to make this last will and testament that says, please stop fighting and try to get along and make the ship work. Like, maybe Spock should go back to just being science officer and they should figure out an actual exec. Yeah, they should do something about this. Yeah, that's a reasonable way to read it. Uh, also, he was... Um, he felt awed by being the only thing in the universe out there. <laughs> yep. But, like, one... He probably feels that way all the time because he's Shatner slash Kirk. But isn't that just what floating in space would be like anywhere? Uh-huh. Yeah, the, yeah it does seem to be. The, also, what about the Defiant? <laughs> yeah, where, what happened with that? Are you going to tell us? No? no? No one knows what happened with the Defiant? Oh, it blew up. It was cool. Sorry, guys. <laughs> like, what is his explanation to Starfleet going to be after that? Uh, by the way, we will eventually learn what happened to the Defiant. Oh, is that an STO? No, that's oh. an Enterprise. Oh, oh, I remember it. Um, again, Uhura got thrown in the loony bin, even though she's totally calm. And, of course, once a man said he saw Kirk, they were ready to listen. <laughs> they invite Scotty to the bridge to talk about it some more. That's true. <laughs> she's so calm on that bed, she's all strapped in, and she's just sitting there like, uh, I mean, I guess arguably, I'm crazy. he was also the second person to see Kirk, so... I know, I'm just saying. They were like, ah, you must be a crazy one. And then he's like, I see Kirk. And they're like, come up to the bridge, let's chat about it. Well, Scotty's pretty level-headed. Yeah. That's right, he's never like, I don't know, got hit on the head and then hated all women or anything. I mean, Kirk never hit him on the head. He wouldn't make this up. <laughs> he, got, he got a knock on the head. From a woman. And a I'm sorry, as the result of the actions of a woman. And so he hated all women. As the result of a mistake made by a woman. He got a bump on the head, and so he is now. God damn it! Nobody forget we shit. We shit all over that episode, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, God, I hope so. Nobody forget that that happened. Everyone, please remember that that's a thing uh, that they said happened in the show. I got a twenty. I actually gave it six more points than you did. Well, I good mean, twenty's job. not twenty's not good for sure, but you gave it a seven, <laughs> which feels more right. Dude, I've gotten nine phone calls from this Amazon person. Just leave the fucking box. 
That's a, that's a good point. It's insane. Um, that's it. That's it for me. It was a one. A one. In which case, I'm going to knock mine back to a two. Hold on a second. I'm going to answer this right here. Yeah, you do it. Take it live. Hello? Hello? I hope it's not an Amazon delivery guy. I hope it's a, a uh, Chinese Bank of America call. Uh, I hope he reads his social security number now. Um, I am home right now. It can just be left on the on the porch. Did I did I receive any? Uh, I haven't had a chance to go down and check. I'm in the middle of something. Oh, this this woman this woman might have dropped off somebody else's package, and now she's worried. I am. It was unbelievable hey, uh, how long that went. That was crazy. Whose package do you think she accidentally dropped off at your door? <laughs> You're right. I'll find out. Mine will say delivered, but it'll be for somebody else. Good yeah. Lord. I just, I literally like the ninth time that rang, I was like, what is happening? Um, no, I, I don't blame you. I would have taken it too. Okay. Um, I got some quick ones. Yeah, let's have them. Now that we've gotten a reaction shot of everybody on the bridge, we can finally start the captain's log and begin this episode. <laughs> Oh, never mind. We didn't see Scotty until after the log. He was I didn't realize he was on the bridge too. Um the crazy guy in the Kirk memorial funeral was Oh yeah. Very patient. He waited until the moment Spock said Kirk was a goner before he did a crazy attack in there. He definitely picked his moment, yeah. Um Yet again I started to think this is just like that episode with Rowan Jordy when they were like doing the phase stuff. Oh yeah, and then, except we—it's not. But yes, yeah. But then been. every time Kirk showed up and was miming stuff, I thought of that time when they—they're—they're shooting—they're oh, shooting the disruptor. Yeah, so and, they're using—they're using the special rays, and they briefly yeah. phase it in front of Data. Yes, yeah. that's what I thought of each time that happened. And then I stopped taking notes because again, there was so much happening in this episode that none of my notes went to quick hitters anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got some. I love the dumb name tags on the spacesuits. <laughs> you have to be, they're very small. You have to be so close to read who's in the spacesuit that it cannot possibly be useful. Do you suppose anyone could ever have been able to tell in the 1960s on their little TVs in black and white? No, I cannot imagine that it was, that it was legible at all. Seems weird that they bothered. Even in the best close up, you probably, you might be able to make out, you could probably be able to guess from the length of the word that it probably says Kirk, but that's it. Right. Uh, yeah, so who's that for? Um, the Tholians are coming in at half the speed of light, and they are 200,000 kilometers away. Mm. My mental math says that should take them about 1.4 seconds. <laughs> that um, a re- no, that was a... That's um, Twilight Zone numbers. The real Twilight Zone number they gave you there. Yeah. They're coming wrote, from twi- literally Twilight eight... Zone numbers. They're yeah. coming from literally 8,000 kilometers why does McCoy think Spock wants a command? I mean, based on what? Because he didn't... Because Spock held on to that command when that Commodore wanted it? Oh, I remember that. In the episode where they all got old? Yeah. Is Spock still mad? Is Kirk, I mean, is McCoy still mad that Spock gave evidence at Kirk's fitness hearing? I mean, that was... Because he kind of got maneuvered into it and he didn't seem like he wanted to. Yeah. God, that was a better episode somehow. Well, this um, one wasn't a good one. Uhura has crazy casual clothes. 
It's just all flowing red dresses and gold jewelry. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCoy is going to drink a bunch of Klingon nerve agent mixed with scotch in the middle of the worst crisis the Enterprise has ever faced. With a smile. With a smile and a joke. Does it make a good mixer with scotch, he asks. Who? Maybe if you, I don't know. Uh, I guess our Scottish correspondent can uh, weigh in on this, but do you... In America, yeah. scotch is not something that you mix things with. I actually would like to hear the answer to this. We I... have trash whiskeys for that. That's right. I don't know. Maybe uh, in Scotland, that's a very common whiskey, and so you just... you. I just can't imagine having uh, some, one of those fancy scotches and Coke. I, um, I didn't put this into the notes, but I was mad about this at the time he says to spock come on spock do the human thing meaning drink this but it's just medicine yeah do vulcans don't drink are they like vulcans are like christian scientists <laughs> and they don't literally believe what, in medicine literally what i said to marjorie at the time i was like i don't understand why that's the human thing to drink medicine like anyone would drink the medicine they need it but i guess maybe vulcans are like christian scientists i don't know I think Vulcans don't drink alcohol because it doesn't get them drunk or something. Yeah, which is like, they can still but drink it. Like, so you should be even less hesitant to drink it then. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't love him doing that in the middle of that big crisis. I give Best Actor to Spock, I guess. There weren't really standout moments for me from anyone in this one. Yeah. Uh, worst Actor, Mad Chekhov. I mean, <laughs> I don't love Chekhov. I have no fondness for Chekhov until he gets the dang old worm in his ding-dang ear. Yep. Uh, so, Botany yeah. Bay? Botany Bay? Oh, oh right. Not even no. The, okay, got it. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. That's my quickies. Now that I'm completely out on McCoy, it's just like... They're just falling like dominoes. Yeah, there's not going to be... A, I mean, I know we're almost done with the show, but there's not going to be a lot of crew left. Uh, so, I mean, Sulu, I guess we're going to be stuck with Sulu. He's pretty good as captain of the Excelsior, so I guess he probably makes it all the way through. Yeah, and then in the movies, we're going to have to call him out for lying about having flown something similar to that Huey in the Academy. Why would he be flying oh, anything yeah. similar to that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was a lie. Uh, I flew something, flew something like this at the Academy. Is that a Huey? It hovered based on unknown anti-grav principles, and uh, <laughs> I, like it was a touchscreen command, but otherwise it was, it was very similar. I was born there. <laughs> Guys, are you listening? I'm, I'm telling an important story. I was, you see San Francisco? I was, I born, was there. born there. Oh, you've all been uh, there. Okay. <laughs> in, uh, in for, yes. Oh, also, we all went to the academy there. Yeah, we, we've all spent significant time there. Okay, I get it. We all have uh, old girlfriends there. <laughs> That's and, right. We all have uh, our old hangouts and bars. Old hangouts, and, our old bars are all there. Sometimes we have condos there and alternate timelines. And uh, uh, Libby's Orc, there. I mean, Kirk maintains an apartment there in the movies. So That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, first place last week was The Next Generation. Yeah. This week we watched Sins of the Father. Visited upon the sun. I mean, uh, yeah, if uh, if TNG was on punishment detail... That would have been an easy uh, one. Would have been a very easy pick. Would have been forgotten years. Uh, Riker spent some time on a Klingon ship last year, so now it's time for a flipsy. Commander Kern is here to be the first officer for a few days or whatever, and man, is he a real ballbuster or what? 
Wesley almost peed himself. Credits. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> By the way, he was locked and loaded. He knew who Wesley was, yeah. and he wasn't into it. How did right? Did Riker leave that information behind on the uh, whatever the name of that ship was when he was there? The Paw. Uh, they probably just gave uh, Kern full access to Enterprises. I mean, he was <laughs> no one ever gets over. limited access to anything, so he probably got full access. He does brag about how he's totally up to speed on all Starfleet regulations. So yeah, uh, everyone is talking shit about Kern and Ten Forward, and they mention the only guy he treats nicely is Worf, which is odd because he's the one who could really take it. I don't know. Relax, Jordy. Jordy's got a lot to say about Worf. Yeah. Um, well, they work together. Uh, a lot in that first season and we only saw a few times but yeah Worf had a lot of learn learn learning to do um cut to the bridge where my dude is very condescending with Worf and almost gets one of those palm strikes but yeah. Worf keeps his shit under wraps everyone's having a blast at lunch and then Worf comes to Kern's quarters to be like are we gonna throw down you mad bro like why you keep doing this shit to me where you condescend to me and treat me treat me like a wuss but once he shows he can push over furniture like the mightiest of klingon warriors kern reveals that uh, they are long lost brothers yeah he's come to enterprise one to peep out his brother and two uh their father has been accused of fucking treason uh betraying the kitimer outpost where Worf's family was killed uh, his family's greatest rival is bringing the claim against his family, and since Worf is the elder brother, it's his job to go challenge this shit. Also, nobody knows Kern is a son of Moog. Right. Um, Picard agrees to take Worf to Kronos and help him clear his name, and Kern agrees to keep his lineage a secret, but will serve as Worf's lieutenant in this uh, weird trial, I guess, this challenge. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a procedure of some type. It it still feels, by the way, more official and by the book than whatever happened in Voyager in that Dino trial. Yeah, than the, whatever that Dino hearing was. Yeah, they hit the council floor, and this guy Duras just comes at Worf and rips his cool sash and backhands him. But Worf ain't going away, man. Um, Picard goes back to Enterprise and shouts out orders so they can all help Worf clear his name by doing what Starfleet does best. Pour over old documents. <laughs> Meanwhile. <laughs> that's <sighs> fucking that, Amazon guy. That really is the big Federation plan. Hold on. Is Hold on. You just, you, just, you, just, you just vamp. I'm going to kill this guy. So uh, one oh, thing... Cool. One nice treat that Matt uh, Matt will discover when he listens to this back is that in that scene when Duras rips off Worf's baldric, uh, there's a reverse shot where you're looking at Worf's back and it's very obvious that the thing is unlatched. So, like, they didn't want to damage this prop, which, if you look carefully, is made out of, like, foam rubber chain mail. Amazing. So... <laughs> Just... Really good Star Trekking is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. So even so even before they they clearly didn't want to do a cutaway there. So even when Worf's back is turned, you can see that the Baldric is unlatched, so that when Duras pulls it away, it just comes away. Oh shit! Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, the fucking Chancellor of the High Council comes to Worf and tries to get him to abandon his challenge and leave. Which you know that shit ain't going down. No. Then Kern is attacked by Duras and some lackeys. Uh, turns out Duras has learned that Kern is Worf's brother. 
Kern is stabbed bad, and Crusher goes to work saving him. Uh, it seems like she doesn't really do anything. She blames it on his super cool body. Yep. Um, Data and Jordy figure out uh, evidence has been falsified in order to frame Moog for the betrayal of Kidmer. Worf, but they don't know how it's been falsified. Just they, that it's been falsified. Yeah, they're working on it. They just know the the files don't match up with the the Starfleet files from the right. sh- the ship that was there on this on scene after the attack or whatever. Um, Worf picks Picard as his new Chadich. That's what Kern was doing for him. Now that Kern is out of commission, uh, they track down another person Worf uh, was found with after the attack, and Picard goes to see her. I guess to get her to testify or do something. I don't really know what she's to, supposed to do. Just to find out what she even knows, I think. She refuses at first, but then Picard has to fight off a Klingon ambush, and she helps him with that. And she agrees to help and says that Kimpek, that uh, chancellor I mentioned before, used to want to bone her real good. So maybe she can get somewhere with him uh, in that way, even though she, she a hundred or whatever. Uh... For some reason, this totally works, and Kaelas and Duras just admit that, nah, Worf's dad's not guilty, Duras's dad was the traitor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, Worf was gone, and it was easy to pin it on him. They didn't think he was going to come back, and uh, it's super dangerous to cross Duras's family these days. Yeah, Duras is one of the 12 princes in the Klingon Empire, yeah. so it's... You know, he's kind of a big deal. Kimpek doesn't go so far to explain, like, exactly what will happen, but that it will tear the council apart. He says there will be civil war. Oh, never mind. He goes he so far explain, as to say civil war. Yes. He doesn't explain how it will get there, but Duras is very powerful. Picard is willing to fight uh, and break up the alliance for truth and justice, but Worf says he'll take one for the team just to save the Empire. And he throws in, no one hurts my brother anymore. Um, yeah, he, he would take execution for the Empire, but they'd have to execute Kern too. Mm-hmm. But if he is alive then he can keep Kern under control, right. so he takes discommendation instead. Yep, he accepts discommendation. Which is what he says. It's discommendation. He for sure says discommendation. <laughs> he takes discommendation and the dishonor, and his father goes down in the books as a traitor. And uh, I guess we'll find out what happens next space time, next yeah. spa- same space channel. Uh, what was this episode about? This one was a little tough to distill. There's yeah. a so there's a lot of stuff going on in this episode. This one is like real full. Yes. Um here's where I landed. Even if a society fails to live up to its ideals, uh an individual still can and they're still worth living up to. Okay. So they don't because this one's so plot heavy, they don't spend a moment uh where we see what what Worf is going through, learning that the Klingon Empire, which he lionizes because he's only read books, mm-hmm. uh, is corrupt. Yeah, but I still think that's the main message, right? Yeah, his How- his reaction, his decision is so immediate. You're right that we don't get any time for it to sink in and be like, yeah, here's how he came to this decision. I think there's another take in here, okay, about making sure that you make the right sacrifice, right? Like. Uh, Worf is willing to be executed, but that's not the that's not the sacrifice he needs to make in this right. scenario. 
Um, though that only pertains to the end of the episode and it's less relevant to people at large. So, but I, I mean it, so I, there's a couple of things happening in this one. I have it as a six overall. I think it's important to try to live up to your ideals, even if the society fails to do so. Right. Um, I went with what I consider Star Trek, the franchise's central morality. That the good of the many must take precedence over the good of the few. I mean, yeah, that it comes up over and over and over again. In the, this, the nobleness of sacrifice and so on. Right. In this case, we just had yesterday's Enterprise last week. Right. Worf accepts personal dishonor and protects a corrupt council. He does so to protect his brother, sure, but primarily because of what Kimpek tells him would happen if he doesn't do it. Klingon civil war. Um, and I'm going to get into a lot of what I think is important about that in some of the other sections. But I think this is like, this is Star Trek doing what Star Trek is most interested in doing. It's like their, um, their champion cause, if there was such a thing for them. It is kind of true. It is one of the most common recurrences in, in this show. And obviously it's, it's to the, the point central. Where I usually try to look for another thing to say because it's been said so much. Yeah. It's I, I can when we do the Star Trek, the movie project, it's sort of the central theme of those movies, at least the original ones. Um, so um, I gave certainly of two. Uh, yeah. I think two, two, three and four are one, right? They're sort of the yeah, one it story. It is one long movie. Yeah. Kind yeah. of, um, which ends on such a high note. Well, of course, four is amazing. Um, an amazing move. So I gave it as much as an eight. I think this is Star Trek doing the Star Trek deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, I gave it a six uh, with a slightly different take, and it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with your assessment of it, frankly. Uh, let's talk about execution. Uh, this last scene, and really it is, they don't do anything after Worf accepts discommendation. They have the scene where all the Klingons, including his brother... No, they know exactly where to end this episode. ...turn their backs on him, and very symbolic and everything. Right. This is a great ending to what was an interesting but not outstanding episode. Okay. Um, and it's an ending that rings really true. Like, corruption never fucking goes away. Even in societies constantly extolling their own virtue, maybe even more so in those societies. Um, and that Worf wants to save this thing, like we said, he's only ever read about, but is still like the most cherished fucking thing in his mind. This yes, great by the Klingon way, this is Empire. a sacrifice only Worf would make. Right. Even though it has now been revealed to him to all have been an illusion to save this thing that he's grown up fantasizing about and holding so dear and putting on a pedestal and also his brother by accepting dishonor is genuinely affecting and always has been like the first time I saw this, I was like, damn, they did my boy dirty and he just took it. Yep. Um, like how can you not feel for the dude? All he's ever wanted is to be a real Klingon to finally go home and be faced with this shit and to knowingly give all of it up again. That's why and Worf... Now, now he's in exile, right? Yeah, that's why Worf's legit. But when you add on an extra layer of... Did he do this because he realized these weren't the Klingons in his books and dreams and he couldn't handle what being a real Klingon was? Like, does he have doubts about himself and how he would fit into the Empire? Does he think that what Kern said about him earlier was true, that he's basically a human with a weird forehead? Like, I feel like there's a lot to think about 
with what Worf is doing and why he's making this decision. And, and thank God they didn't give themselves a lot of time to dissect it in this episode because they would have ruined it. But um, I feel like there's a lot going on with why he decides to accept this discommendation. It is for sure the thing I want more of. Yeah. War- Once they get to Kronos... Worf mostly stops talking and stands in a spotlight while Duras rants and raves. <laughs> yep. And sometimes so, Picard yells a little bit. Yeah. And, and sometimes Picard yells a little bit. So we only we only get how we think, what we think is happening inside of Worf and mm-hmm. what he allows to show on his face and just a few snippets of things that come out. And we could have used more from that. And I will tell you where I think they could have stolen time yeah. when we get to my side. Um, nobody seems to want to look into this Kern guy and see if he's setting Worf up in some way. They just all accept that they're long lost brothers. It is not even clear that Worf remembers he had a brother. I don't think he does. And, um, but I assume that they all are doing exactly what I did, which is, oh, they have exactly the same ridges. (laughs) That's right. Well, the ridges match up. What are you going to do? I assume Moog had the same fucking batch. Um... Uh, yeah, for me, the ending makes the episode and I gave it as much as a nine until then I was on board. I was like, this is interesting. We're getting a lot of Klingon stuff. I like that when we're going to like do a whole episode with an important alien race that we see a lot of, we're learning a lot about what's really going on in the council. Like there's a lot happening here, but that ending just like cranks it up. So, uh, okay. So I'm into this. Um, we haven't really talked about this. The first two acts, Mm. Kern returning Riker's visit, feels exactly like an episode that Star Trek would have done. Yes, that that would have been the episode. everybody learns a cultural lesson. Oh, and maybe there would have been a part where Worf and this Klingon didn't get along. And Worf would have had to think about what that meant for him or whatever. Kern learns that he has to learn to do things the human way, and everybody learns that there's value to his command style, etc. Right? It feels exactly like an episode that could have been. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is very effective as a misdirect. And when the plot turns, you really feel that turn. Oh, Because about 15 minutes in, it becomes something completely different. When Worf flips that furniture over and the guy's like, brother, like the first time you're watching it, you probably are like, oh, shit. Holy (laughs) shit. Oh, okay. I thought this was something else entirely. And I think if the first two acts had been less committed to being, oh, of course we're doing the return on the exchange program. Mm. Like this is TNG. This is the show to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, then it it would have felt like a waste of time. But I actually don't. I like those two acts because they they it could have been the first two acts of a different episode entirely. Yeah, and it make I think it helps the turn. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all of the stuff on Kronos works except there's no motivation. We never learn any motivation for Kalest. That's Worf's old nanny. Yeah playing dead for all these years yep like when picard shows up she's like i am Kalis dead, is dead. Yeah. So she's doing a very weird voice particularly there where she no you you must leave chadich yeah. that's there's nothing for you here <laughs> and it's like uh that's a character choice that did not need to be made yeah because you could also just have him show up and she hasn't yet heard about any of this moog Mm-hmm. Gerard stuff, right? But in, but instead, she's 
she's deliberately in hiding and they never give you a reason why and I want that. If you're going to make her have that weird character choice to have her refuse the call because you've been reading Joseph Campbell, right? despite the fact that this is not her story and you don't have time for it, yeah. then give us something. Why? Yep. Um, the flip side of that is she gets to tell Kim Peck he's still fat and she buries a throwing knife in the back of an assassin. Yeah. So frankly, even she's a lot of fun in this episode. Yeah, when she saves Picard, she fucking knifes a dude in the back and then she's like, I'll come help you. And then she's... Kimpak's like, oh, you can go, Kalis. We don't need you anymore, or whatever. And she's walking away, and he's like, ah, uh, yeah, hey, uh, actually, before you go, uh, you wanna, you wanna, just like old times, you know? And she's like, you're still fat. <laughs> I mean, all he says is, it is good to see you again, Kalis. <laughs> but you're, that's definitely the subtext. Yeah, and she's like, fuck you, bro. Um, Kern Worf asks Kern to do something that he would not be able to do which is to deny his father mm. and swallow his honor. Like that's he's telling him to do that the whole time. And I think that it makes sense that Kern is able to do that even though Worf can't because Kern grew up in the actual Klingon Empire and grew up hiding not, his identity, not in Worf's idealized version of it. Yeah. Right? I think they could have shifted time away from Wesley being bullied by Kern. <laughs> And that's where I would have put Worf coming to grips with the reality of Klingon life. For sure. Like you said, they committed hard to that first plot. It would have been better to, to burn, to bleed a little time into some of Worf's inner life in this episode, but it's a very solid episode. I gave it a seven. Okay. Uh, what about, I'm always slightly more critical than you, frankly. So what about the world building? Uh, world building. Uh, Klingon's family is accountable for his actions. I think this is literally the first time that idea has been put forward. Okay. Uh, challengers are denied combat and fight through proxies. Uh, house rivalries that go back for generations. I had never noticed until this watch of this episode I've seen many times mm-hmm. that, uh, that Gerard was Moog's greatest enemy. Yeah. That this is a multi generational conflict now. Yeah, there was a convenience to to them blaming it on Worf because he was away, but there was also Duras's family hating Worf's family, <laughs> uh, consorting with Romulans, council politics. Uh, there's a lot going on here. Not all. It's not so much about the Federation, but the Klingons are big players. We're gonna and frankly, because this episode worked, I think they became much bigger players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gave it a five for world building. I could see a higher score. I just don't know what it would be for at this moment. Yeah. Yeah, I was in the same boat. I had five, could see more, but I gave it a five. Um, Part two of the exchange program with the Klingon Empire. Klingons ain't eat no cooked food, I guess. That's true. Uh, Oh, man, your description glided right over that very good scene. (laughs) Well, because I have a lot of characterization and quick hitter notes for it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they have a big lunch where uh, current Tony Todd does some pretty amazing stuff in that scene. Um, uh, the kid, the Kidmer massacre being uh, uh, rehashed. Um, Klingons will kill your son for your crimes if you're dead. So, like, you know, don't do those crimes, I guess. Um, or they'll just be dishonored for seven generations. The execution seems to be for uh, as part of the challenge. 
Yes. Like, I think Worf could have not brought the challenge, and then if he just showed up later, it wouldn't have been a thing. But to be fair, Kimpak... I mean, he would have been dishonored for seven generations. Kimpak so doesn't look that. like he necessarily remembered the discommodation was an option, because he gives you a know, face it does, like, ah! it does seem like It does seem like Worf is pulling something that is technically allowed in Klingon <laughs> law, because he read a book. Yes, he read it on Wikipedia. it, like... You know, it hasn't been done. Like, I guess it's still on the books. Yeah, they do a thing like, oh, yeah. We don't see the meeting before they go in there where Kempex like, all right, we looked it up. The procedure is you cross <laughs> your arms in front of your chest yeah, with right. your palms, with your hands open. Then you make fists with your hands. Then you turn away from him. In order. Then the next oh, yeah, guy does that's it. That's right. <laughs> Try to do it like a waterfall that's effect right. where it just goes all the way around. Um, Let's see. Uh, Duras says, for many turns, there have been rumors about Moog. Many turns? Yeah. Okay, writers. <laughs> you got it on that one. The writers uh, step in it a little bit this week. Uh, this is like when you get a Bajoran episode in DS9 and you go, this is what I want. Keep doing this. Got a whole episode with the Klingons and genuinely learned about their society, values, uh, institutions. It isn't hey, more... You, you and me hate the Trek part of Star Trek is what it turns out to be. I just, there are certain things that they do well. And when they do that, you go, they should just keep doing this for That's sure. True. Um, it isn't more points. Cause I don't know how much of it was universe altering information, just like kind of good background info and things to keep in mind, but crucial Klingon episode for sure. Characterization. Uh, characterization, please. Kern is doing his thing on the bridge in this first scene. And Worf is looking like, fuck yeah, finally some discipline. It is about time Picard runs this ship with such a loose hand. I bet if I say, Commander Kern, we should terminate the fetus, he'll be like, that's a fucking good idea. Execute, <laughs> he would say. <laughs> fucking Tony Todd is so good in this. Um, oh, he nails it. He nails Kern. It, I just can't. Kern doesn't yeah. earn any points because this is his first appearance. But, but who else could play is, Kern? Like he's buck wild in this one. He, he fucking he ruins most other Klingons having Tony Todd as one. Um, but of course, this whole thing turns on Worf pretty quick. Um, Worf usually doesn't have to be self conscious about loving human stuff, but it's easy to see why he's sensitive about it around the Klingons. Yeah, he would have been the same way around uh, Chorus and mm-hmm. uh, Conmel, Conmel the Ugly. Yep, and uh, the third guy whose name I don't remember. The guy who died, real quick. This is the beginning of a dark fucking period for Worf. He's got a long lost bro, and he's a fucking prince. And there's more news coming. Who told Worf he has to be so theatric in this council chamber? Cling on Wikipedia again. Everybody yeah, else yeah. talks pretty normal, but normal. He, Everyone else is normal in here. He and Picard do a lot of projecting. Well, except for Duras saying for many turns. But <laughs> for <otherwise>. many turns. <laughs> yeah, he shouts, and Picard really feels his energy. Yeah, he and Picard do a lot of like projecting to people in the back row for some reason. Um, again, Worf accept, accepts discommendation, and I've already discussed in some detail some things about what that might mean. That he did it at all makes him the most complex character in this show and probably in Star Trek. That he went... Yeah, yeah I mean, it's hard me, to disagree with that. That he said, I'll die for the Empire. And they went, what? And he went, all right, well, how about discommodation? Uh, I love Riker walking around feeling like an expert after his one day abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this first scene when he's doing a walk and talk with Picard. Uh-huh. It's, by the way, it's a the real shame, the real loss 
after the turn in the episode is oh. Riker sort of disappears from it. Yeah, because he's getting set he's up as the guy. A good old time. This is going to be a Riker episode for sure. Yep, he's being set up as the guy who is either going to have to step in and teach Kern about how to play with humans, or he's just going to have a great fucking time watching and applying all the yep. stuff he learned under Klingons. Um, Riker does not seem very impressed by Kern's threat. He's like. No. Dude, Clag was way bigger than you, and I fucked him up. Sparks fucking shot all over his head and whatnot. It was amazing. Later, he told me about his dad who waits to die. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. What do you got, Kern? Uh, Wesley can't stop passing notes in class. He just doesn't seem to like me. Wesley is a much better <laughs> actor than regular Wesley. Yep. But not as good as flirting with Guinan Wesley. Nope. Uh, Jordy hates this new guy, too. Jordy also cannot be cool around Worf. Calls no. him out in front of Kern for loving human food. Just like he yeah. did on the bridge about sex. He's just trying to shift some fucking heat his way. Like. <laughs> yeah, but did you see how much Worf loves that turkey leg? Don't yell at me anymore. But it's just like he did that time about sex. The time he yelled at the whole bridge, Worf, is this your idea of sex? Like, damn, Jordy. <laughs> Can you just fucking be cool for a minute? Everybody look at me. Worf, is this sex? <laughs> uh, Picard is all in on this mission to save Worf's honor. Good thing he doesn't really report to Starfleet. Oh, yeah. He just goes off on a mission here. He doesn't even have any qualms about Worf taking another member of his ship as Chudich after Kern gets stabbed a bunch. And uh, speaks some mean Klingon when Worf says, I choo choo choose you. It is true. He yeah. knows the ceremony. He, gets he was looking it up. He he he, def, he defers ritually. That's right. <laughs> but he expected Worf to ask him to be shot each. Yeah. Uh, he gets to talk shit to Duras in the chambers. He gets to do a lot of fucking fighting, a Klingon ambush, and yelling at Kampok. So this was obviously a great time for Pat Stew. This was exactly what he wanted to, to do. In the last scene... Uh, he, he didn't fuck nobody. That was the one thing. That's right, yeah. He didn't fuck K-Lest or whatever. Um, remember that episode? Uh, we were just talking about it the other uh, a few episodes ago. The DS Nine where uh, they tried the Romulans tried to blow up the wormhole, and Cisco came in and talked <laughs> yeah. to him. Remember when Kira in that episode is like, "You can have the cloaking device from the Defiant, and I don't need your stupid treaty." That's Picard with the Alliance. That's Picard in this last scene where he has unilaterally decided he's gonna fuck this treaty up to save Worf. Uh, but luckily, Worf doesn't let him. Um, honestly, I mean it's an empty threat. Picard can't renounce the alliance. I enjoy. He, he doesn't have a treaty where he can declare it in a the treaty in abeyance, like when he had the, uh, <laughs> oh, the uh, Shaliak corporate on the yes. line. <laughs> Wait, not so fast. Treaty for for days. It's time we read it. Major will comply. <laughs> um, I enjoyed all of the characters' work so much in this. I gave it a nine. Uh, yeah, well, um, all right, so P Picard gets to be a lawyer and a fighter in this one, that's always good. Mm. No real missteps from Worf here, but he also, he doesn't get a lot to do. Yes, like, he has standing. the ending scene, and he does a lot of standing in a spotlight. Uh, he gets to do and a cool thing like this, the Chudich will be silent! That is true. Yeah. Uh, everyone else is fine on support duty. It's a real shame Kern doesn't earn points. Yeah, yeah, he's the he's the Mark Alemo of this. 
Can you imagine, Matt, if there had been a scene where Worf talked to Guinan about how the Empire was not what he expected, mm. and she gave him the advice that he should be the Klingon Empire that he wants to see in the world? That's right. You gotta uh, be the change you want to see yeah. or whatever. I mean, that's what her advice would have been, right? It would have been good. No Guinan in this one. I really wanted that scene, and I think that's why I had it initially as low as a five. But I don't. I just looked at it, and I don't have any criticisms other than I wanted a scene that didn't <laughs> exist. Yeah. And I don't think that's a fair criticism. I'm going to meet you in the middle at a seven. Okay. So I was a, a bit higher across the board on this one. but You were. Um, I scored it high initially. Yeah. But I have come up in, in an area or two. Uh, and I have, of course, some quick hitters. Okay. Do you think even one person, and I mean one television viewer, okay. noticed the similarity between Kern's Ridges and Worf's and guessed the whole thing in Act 1? I cannot see that happening. I've Because there that. is a moment when they are standing right next to each other at Tactical, and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, it's the same. It's like from the same appliance. I mean, I, um, I've seen that episode 500 times, and I'm still not sure I've ever actually looked at that. Yeah. So probably not, right? Especially in standard definition on someone's over-the-air antenna. <laughs> no. Yeah, with little fucking lines buzzing across. Right. I have seen this episode so many times, Matt, and I never noticed that at the lunch scene, Kern takes a flower from the centerpiece and puts it on his plate. <laughs> he doesn't know what's food and what isn't. It's He doesn't genuine. know what's food and what isn't. It's a real fucking... He's in it. Everyone sees him take that flower and doesn't say anything because they're this is a diplomatic function and so probably the flowers are also edible would be my guess mm -hmm. and also and also he doesn't eat the flower in the middle of the thing it's not slapstick but he takes it and puts it on his i fucking loved it dude okay so it's so great because this whole episode kern is um like domineering and confident and in control and knows what he's doing and everything and this is his fucking waterloo he has no idea what <laughs> is going on at this lunch table he wants out of this room he doesn't understand <laughs> what is happening it's yeah. really good um so why in the world did the klingon high council let a Starfleet officer, we will later learn a non-com even, yeah. raise a young princeling like Worf. This is a, such a good question. I, what does it, how could it have been? Yeah, we've, I'm not sure we've even talked about it in this project yet because it hasn't, Worf's backstory hasn't come that much into play. But I also have in my quick hitters, do we really know what happened to Worf? Why wasn't he sent home as a kid? There is a, someone said, Worf says to someone that the officer who found him was told that his family had all been killed. Yeah. So okay, that but finders Worf keepers. survived. What about all of the... Like, the house of Moog must have been a big thing. Mm. There must have been captains like it. of ships following him, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is what we will learn about the Klingons. Yeah, they all got private armies and shit. Is that the house of Moog must have been, like, a 20th of the Klingon Empire. Yeah. And they just were like, oh, okay, hey, good news, everybody, there's a surviving heir. And a human uh, on the farm colony of Galt asked <laughs> if he could raise him. <laughs> we're going to say no, right? We're going to ask for him back. What? <laughs> yeah. What? 
Yes, it is a confusing question. I wish we could get more on that. But again, I don't because I'm afraid of what they'd write. But yes. Yeah. Uh, I sure hope the official name isn't the Klingon Imperial Empire. <laughs> a thing that Picard definitely says out loud with his mouth. Oh, no. I didn't even notice. Um, Kern. Done a little better for himself than Worf, huh? He's a full commander. I know. It's different on Kronos. It like, seems like if you're good at stabbing, you get promoted. He killed, good. Did he? Did he kill? Was he an ensign and he killed a lieutenant and got a promotion right away? Or <laughs> yeah. Like what was? How does it work? Killed his way up. Is a uh, Lorg? That's his dad, right? Yep. It's his fake dad, Lorg. Is he connected? He By the connected? way, his hesitation when he says Lorg in the chambers almost made me think he invented the name on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> he was like son of Lorg. Lorg. <laughs> It's like, oh shit, he forgot. He forgot the name he's been using. Son of Throne. <laughs> nope, that's not it. Um, son of uh, Morg. It's different from Moog. Uh, I, in my mind, decided that everyone was shouting so much in the Great Hall because it's all squares and has real bad acoustics. <laughs> that's right. Depending on where you're in the just, room, you can't hear shit. Just bad, it's just bad architecture. Yeah. Uh... We must let the past be and protect what we have now, says Kim Peck. Hmm. A visionary leader. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a cut luck again, but Worf says a cut luch. Yeah. This is the first time, so that should be the official pronunciation, but, yeah, but someday Schmoller Worf says it better. Someday, Don't worry. Somebody Worf will call, call one of those things a doc tang, so. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Uh, my theory, he's never heard it said out loud. Um, <laughs> why does Picard know how to accept the Chadich offer in Klingon? Well, you now know my theory about it. Mm-hmm. Kalest says, Moog was loyal to the Emperor. Was there an Emperor 25 years ago? Yeah, because later on we'll be told that that is very much not the case. Yeah, that we will be told em- Emperor in hundreds of years. Yes, when they give it to fake Kalis in however many years, they'll be like, it's a ceremonial honor. There hasn't been an Emperor in fucking 2,000 years or whatever. Yeah, so I guess she was using it metaphorically or... Doesn't understand what she's talking about. or whatever the opposite of that is. Right. Um, little Princeling Kimpek was into Worf's nurse. Yeah. And she had the agency to refuse him. Klingon Empire is fucking badass. Yeah. And he's still into it publicly. <laughs> like, hey, this woman lives in the poor part of town. And keeps you she know, tells everyone she's ass- dead all the time. Assassin Alley? Yes. <laughs> and she was a... It is not clear what kind of nurse she was. Yeah. To Worf. But, uh, yeah. That's just the, I, I don't understand Klingon class politics, and we will never... And that's fine. Yeah. Uh, did Kalist end that dude with a throwing knife? I later decided she absolutely did. Mm-hmm. Does Kern have children? Picard tells him, do not let your children forget what Worf does here today. But is that, that might be also f- metaphorical, or does Kern have some actual kids? Um, we will also never learn that, so I assume what he means is when you have kids. When you have kids. Uh, best actor Kern and the moment I've picked out for him obviously is his very casual just a moment ago I had to restrain myself from killing Commander Riker <laughs> and Troy laughs yes she she can sense his mind so she knows there's no real animosity behind that 
So, but yeah. so I think she laughs based on the feeling she's getting from it, and doesn't even realize the words she's laughing at. And also that it's true, right? Because if she doesn't yeah. feel that way, she must think this is a joke that is being told, mm-hmm. which I assume doesn't feel like a lie to her. Yes, it feels both true and not not full of anger. So she right. just laughs along, just like not even paying attention. And then I think the words hit her and she goes, wait a minute, what? Well, and obviously the next thing he says just reinforces that it's true, although he says it with the same pretty jovial tone. Yeah. Worst actor, any of the Klingon assassins. All of the Klingon <laughs> extras that don't have a name in this episode are trash. Yeah, they as bad as um, Blarg or whatever the names of those Klingon teenagers were. What were those? I don't remember those guys' names from Voyager. Yeah, Larg and Kakach or something. <laughs> I'm not looking it up. Yeah, don't bother. Um, I'm sure you've got quick hitters too. This was, after all, Sins of the Father. Uh, yeah, I wonder what Picard's current reputation is in the Empire before this episode. The reason I wonder is, he does come down there, and then he's like, I'm here at my own request, and they just kind of go, yeah, alright. And then he shouts at him a bunch, and then he shows up as Chud Yeech. And they do try to, they do put a hit on him, but... He's very involved and yells at them a lot. In this lunch scene with with Kern... He hates everything that's going on in that room, but it seems like he really doesn't want to piss Picard off, and I didn't know if that's just because he's his commanding officer, or if he knows who Picard is, or what's up. I mean, it's a good, like, Picard did them that solid with the tong, but mm-hmm. like... But why is his... Because how, yeah. how was he able to get two Kling, three Klingon ships in that Romulan episode, in the Defector? It's a very, it's a good question. I know he's connected in Starfleet, but like, is dude connected in the Empire? It's very confusing. Uh, Jalaj Nash, everybody. Um, would the Klingons be impressed if Worf turned Duras into a stain on the council floor? Like, I know they say that the during the challenge you're not allowed to fight or whatever, but, like, I bet he could get away with it. It's the Empire. I mean, you would think so, or but, like, also, I think this whole thing doesn't work if the House of Moog still exists as a viable political entity. Mm. And so I think that they would still be in the same shitty situation if uh, Duras was wiped. Yeah. I just, I, I, I just, for a while I was like, is he holding back because Picard's looking over his shoulder or is he, does he think the Klingons won't like it if he kills this guy? Because it seemed like he had cause to murder him. I don't know. I mean, Worf has in the past put uh, his version of Klingon ideals above Picard's wishes. <laughs> Picard may have begged him for something once, let's say. It's, yeah, it's possible. It's possible everyone remembers what it was and people were still giving him looks a few weeks later. Um, yeah, it could be. Do, again, do we really know what happened to Worf when he was a kid? Um, weirdest delivery of this episode. Hey, I'm your Chadich. <laughs> that is true. What? Pat Stu, what are you doing? What is that? It sounded like he was flirting. It was really it was, weird. It was a little bit flirtatious. It was a strange <laughs> delivery, you're right. I had best actor candidate Worf. This hobby dog should have been fed to the dogs. Yeah, yep, definitely. Definitely very good. Uh apparently the actual Klingon word for that is supposed to be Hadiba. Oh, whatever. <laughs> fucked it. That's a hard one, you know. It ain't it ain't nothing but gibberish. It is it is pure pure jibs. Um. Yeah, that's it, man. I think we did it. We did a whole episode. There was um, minimal Amazon intrusion. <laughs> it's only gonna get worse. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you heard Amazon. They're pretty big, and they're coming for our podcasts. 
and apparently they're they've become emboldened. Yes, I got nine phone calls, and then they buzzed my buzzer. Fuck these guys. Well, I hope you enjoy your water filter replacement cartridge that they deliver every three months. Honestly, but th- this time was crucial. I think it was a skirt Marjan ordered, and I still don't know why it's so crucial. Um, <laughs> I just looked at the numbers, and I see a spread between first and last that's blowing my mind. Oh yeah, yeah. This was a it turned out to be a wild week. <laughs> so let's do let's do the rundown here. Um, the loser this week. Deep Space Nine really stepped in it with Through the Looking Glass. They shouldn't have did it. Of course, I only gave it three points, which put it in bad trouble. But you only gave it seven. So in last place with ten points, which is a bottom 1% score, mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine Through the Looking Glass. I uh, I guess I should ask you, have you given anything less than a three? Ooh, it's a good question. But I don't... Uh, yes, I've given a two. Damn. <laughs> You have given a three. I have given a two. Damn. Uh, the <laughs> in uh, fourth place this week with a pretty poor twenty-two points. Uh, TNG. The <laughs> sorry, sorry, web. sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry. the Tholian web. The two you gave was for Carbon Creek. I just wanted. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just wanted yeah, to point yeah. that out. Yeah, Carbon Creek, otherwise known as Nips. Yep. Um, Tholian web. In uh, fourth place with 22 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was six points higher than you on this one, so it could have done worse. Yeah. In third place with, uh, frankly, pretty good 38 points, mm-hmm. Voyager, Distant Origin. Yeah. This is Voyager's best showing in... Jeez. Oh, hmm. Voyager's been so bad. Hmm, I say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've been Ooh, really... It's... Really oh, it's bad. a while. <laughs> They've been really bad. They're not good. Ooh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Boy. Probably Phage, oh, right? Boy. Probably Phage. <laughs> Go all the way back. Uh, they've got one other win beside Phage. But it doesn't mean it was a 38, though. Yikes. Uh, Basics Part 1 got oh. a 39. Oh, okay. There you go. Week 41. So in 20, this is their best showing in 23 weeks. Jeez. Unfortunately, this week, it's only good for third place. Yeah, they didn't get lucky with the timing. Uh, second place this week with 40 points. Ooh. Enterprise proving ground. Uh, execution score held yeah. it up. Enterprise got robbed, frankly. 40 points on an average week is the winner. Yeah. This week, however, the winner, TNG, Sins of the Father, 56 points. Oh. Uh-huh. That puts it one off our all-time record. Uh-huh. That The 31 that you gave it is the highest you've ever scored an episode. Damn, this guy Yoto. Uh, I scored one episode of 26, so my 25 is not quite the highest. Oh. Uh, when, by the way, it must have been Measure of a Man. Yeah, Measure of Man was the winner going into this. I just didn't remember so how many it must points have been it a tw- must have been a 26 and a 31 is the only way it's possible. All right. Uh, let's roll back a little bit and find it. Where was that? Huh. I think I passed yeah, it. Yeah, I gave it a 26. You gave it a 31. Ah, yeah, so your 31 points. is a tie. Okay. Well, that was close. This is TNG's 24th win. Yeah. So in the 64 episodes, TNG has 24 wins. TOS has 17, DS9 has 16, Enterprise has 5, Voyager has 2. And DS9 stepped in it so hard, they're back behind TOS in total points. Yeah, they were ahead of TOS in total points, but now they're in uh, third place in both measures. Yep. Uh, 
TNG obviously continues to shoot up. Their mm-hmm. average is now 35.3. Voyager's average is 25.6. So <laughs> Dave, that, that went is up close this to a 10-point difference in terms of weekly average. Yeah. Next week Ooh, okay. is a mailbag, but the next Star Trek week we're doing... It'll be week 65, and we're watching Plato's Stepchildren. Uh, I read the blurb on that on Netflix, and I was not excited. Allegiance. I'm always excited for that one. It's got the Chalnoth guy in it. Yeah, this is uh, this uh, is one that could be only Picard and a bunch of guest actors, but luckily there is also a Picard double. <laughs> oh, yes, Enterprise. it's time to mutiny, motherfuckers. <laughs> Mutiny time! Wait, I love it. I love when when fake Picard says one thing wrong and they all just go, mutiny, right? Mutiny? 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 Okay. DS9, Improbable Cause. I don't remember. I don't remember. Is it maybe a legal episode? I mean, Probable Cause is a legal term. Hold on. I'm just going to do it. I'll do a quick one. Improbable Cause. I don't have to put DS9 on that. No one else would say that. Memory it's Alpha. true. Yeah, Memory Alpha comes up. Um, ooh. Oh, it's a part one of two. Ooh. Oh, it's a Garrick? Oh. Oh. Okay. Well, we'll see, huh? Promising. All right. All right. So, first part of a two-parter that have two different names. Mm-hmm. DS9 and Probable Cause. Uh, could be a big story, then. Two-parters. I think it's a big the one. The first part sometimes scores high just for being a big story. I very much remember what this is, and it is, uh, at the very least, there's a lot going on. All right. Um, Vo- Voyager. The name of next week's Voyager episode has got me very worried. It's called Displaced. Oh, are they going to be, like, in interspace or something? And... I mean, the, boy, it really suggests <laughs> something and of the kind that Voyager has not been good at tackling so far. Uh, oh, man, I know what this I, one I worry, is. I worry that it's a twisted of some kind. Some mm. kind of twisted. I'm even more worried it's going to be some kind of uh, f- fucking religion episode. Oh, good. Another thing they've done real well. Yeah. Well, they haven't done much well, so <laughs> they're pretty much screwed across the board, I think. Uh, An Enterprise Stratagem. Archer's stratagem is usually go in firing, so yeah, commando raid of some kind. Yeah, um, that's the ep- those are the episodes to watch if you're playing along. Mm. Next week is a mailbag. Uh, Matt will tell you that you can tweet at us at brother date. Send us an email brothers at brotherdate.com. I'd also appreciate like, it if you would tweet like at, and subscribe. Tweet at Amazon, please, and ask them. Demand demand to know why they have called me nine times tonight. I want to know what the answer is. <laughs> and I think it's going to take a crowd source, like a, like a, a group effort to get this an answer let's out get, of them. Let's get to the bottom of it. I'm going to make this, this podcast is going to war with Amazon. And you know what? I want to say this too. I don't have that echo connected anymore and it's been months. So oh, I'm wow. free. I'm, I'm off the leash. You can't get me. How are you? How can I make your... How can I make your house start playing Huey Lewis in the news? <laughs> You'll have to keep trying to make Siri do stuff. There's no okay. other way. I can't <laughs> seem to turn her off no matter how hard I try. Fucking Apple. Uh, yeah, uh, email us. Uh, it's been a while since we got a good audio clip. And, um, uh. and you, yeah, you could send us the tweets and uh, um, Stitcher and um, Jalajnesh. And Joel Ontru. 
Jalan Druid also. Um, Beldor Joy. Beldor Joy, Jalan Druid. Wait, when I said Jalan Druid. You know what? Good enough. All right, bye, everyone. This <sighs> fucking that, Amazon guy. That really is the big Federation plan. Hold on. Is Hold on. You just, you just you just you just vamp. I'm going to kill this guy. So, uh one oh. thing Please subscribe.